Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the RPD Dispatch. Over the past two weeks we had our members watch the first Resident Evil movie made by Paul Anderson. Uh, we're here to discuss it, so after the break we'll get to it, but joining us is a special guest. I am of course uh, John, better known as Dot50Cal on the boards. My name is Gene, the selfish Gene on the forums. And I am Chris, better known as Alzair. Uh, and I'm John, better known as Minister Spencer, uh, from Project Umbrella. And our special guest joining us is actually Rob McGregor, better known as Rombie, on uh, Resident Evil Fan. So, hey, say hello. Hey guys, how's it going? So, after uh, the break, we'll discuss Resident Evil. Okay, we're back after the break, and uh, as I said, as we said before, we have we have quite a number of people here. Uh, you know, Rob's joining us, and so is Gene. Uh, thanks, Rob, for taking time out of your busy day. No problem. Um, so I guess we'll just get right into it. Uh, I watched the film on Blu-ray, and you know, the extra definition. I don't know if you guys noticed, but during the camera scenes where it's showing sort of from the Red Queen's eyes, you can actually read a lot of that text on the side. So like when there's that woman jumping up and down saying there's no fire here. It's sort of, in the bottom left corner, it's sort of analyzing her voice and putting all the text that she says down there and everything. I thought it was a nice touch that, you know, I never really even noticed that on DVD, but... I think the Red Queen security system uh, was pretty much a model for uh, this country's entire network of CCTV monitors. What, do you think it's Paul Anderson's way of sort of yeah, yeah. I think there's something light. going on between Paul Anderson and the British government. I think they're funding his future works. That's why he was allowed to carry on with what he's doing. <laughs> okay. That's what pays his salary. <laughs> the tax breaks. Tax breaks, exactly, Rob. Tax breaks for the rich. He's a director. Directors make a lot of money. Chiefly, right, he's making a lot of his money from our own government. Okay, he's but enough of that. I guess we'll just sort of give our general thoughts on the, uh, the film. Let's go ahead with uh, Gene first. I watched the DVD version, but I, I limited myself just to the uh, theatrical cut. I didn't delve into the special features or deleted scenes or anything. So I, when I did this review, I really wanted to you know, see what everyone else saw. And this was this was my second time watching the film. And I remember the first time I watched it, I really, really didn't like it. The second time... I still didn't think it was a great film. Have, now the sequels have come out. I'll say it's the best of the three, but that really doesn't say a lot again. Um, yeah, I just wasn't too impressed by it. Okay, how about uh, Chris? What did you think of it? I thought it was okay. So not not too bad, not too... Geez. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in the middle. I'm not real, real into it, but I'm not real against it either. It has its good things and it has its bad things. Okay, John, how about you? I 
how can I start with this now? Uh, he hates it. I dis- yeah, that's that's one direction I could take, Chris. I despise it, and I think that Paul Anderson should never be allowed to make films ever again in his trivial existence. Think... The only good film that he made was Event Horizon, which was a very good film. Hellraiser in space, very enjoyable, good stuff. Sam Neill, we like that. However, Ori was not something he should have delved into. He can't do video game films. He's almost as bad as Yui Bo in that regard. I don't think it's anywhere near him. I mean, Bull just... By God, he's trying. He's trying. Have you seen House, <laughs> have you seen House of the Dead? Seriously? Uh, With Ron, Ron Howard's mutant like... brother? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, no. I, I think I've seen Alone in the Dark. Horrible. I think... Much worse than Alone in the Dark. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think Alone in the Dark was worse. Well, I saw I saw Alone in the Dark, and the first thing that came to mind was Christian. What are you doing? What's he? Why is he getting involved with such a travesty? Okay, well, we aren't talking about House of the Dead here. So, Rob, <laughs> I can... survival horror game. We'll switch to you, Rob. What, what did you think of the film? Um. I don't know. I think uh, it. I think it's better than I remembered, mainly because I think this uh, same thing that um, Gene said. The sequels just were worse. So seeing the original film was better. But I mean, I remember seeing it the, the first time I went and saw it was at the was at the movies, and I saw it the same night I saw Spider Man, and I actually enjoyed Resident Evil more <laughs> than Spider Man. So I don't know. It was still bad. It was like the Sony Screen Gems double, and uh, and the yeah. Resident Evil was better than Spider-Man, so I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in a bad place to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, the first time I saw it was at a theater, you know, when it opened in the U.S., and I went there with my cousin at the time. I think it was a really late showing. They were first airing it, and I went to the first showing that I could. And they, it was, You know, it was an R movie, so they had to have you lined up there. And I was, I think, 17 at the time, but I didn't have any photo ID or anything like that, so we got stopped at the door despite the fact that I had a goatee at the time. And uh, he said, you know, produce produce the ID here. And I'm like, oh, no, please, you know, can I call my mother? <laughs> you know, And he's like, no, no, that's not, that's not even a valid thing. So I guess my, my cousin at the time, he did have ID, and he showed his, and, you know, I just sort of pleaded with the guy that we could get in, you know, and he finally did let us in. So I did see the movie. But overall, like I kind of liked it. I didn't think it was so bad. I don't. I don't get why. I don't know. Maybe I just have horrible taste in movies at times. But I do like good films. But I just didn't think this was so bad. Like it was shot rather well. Like, you know, like John was saying about Uwe Boll. Uh, he doesn't know how to shoot his movies at all. Like it's just crap. But you know, Anderson frames shots rather well. Like the opening part where you know you see the reflection in the. Uh, the picture frame there as he goes by and everything like that like it's got coherence to it you know what's happening what's going on like Uwe Boll films you just don't know what's going on at all but to get back to the point like yeah the movie it wasn't so bad in my opinion I I went in knowing that it wasn't going to follow a strict plot of the games I think that's probably what a lot of fans dislike how it doesn't strictly follow the plot of the game but I think like a a couple other people were saying like Romero's script sort of stuck a bit closer to it, so I think if that had been made, there'd be a lot more outcry because of the differences. Like here, he makes it clear that it's his own universe, you know, it's not gonna stick to the plot of the games. The games and the movies aren't gonna interact. Well, I guess they sort of have with the recent additions, you know, the 
the laser room and all that crap in Umbrella Chronicles, but, like, yeah, I don't know, just didn't really seem all that bad to me. I don't get why what everybody they, hates on it. What they should have done was uh, rigged up a PlayStation to the projector, blown it to a big screen, and have someone play Ferrari 2 for two hours while everyone watches that. That would be a lot more entertaining. And you wouldn't have that Mary Sue, Milia, George, Jababate bitch in there either. <laughs> you know, she, she is a Mary Sue character. She is yeah. a Mary Sue. It's like, she's she's in the film, right? She wakes up, blah, blah, says nothing else, says hardly anything for the first half an hour or an hour or so, except some cryptic flashback sequences or whatever. And then suddenly, when everyone gets their shit ruined by the laser grid thing, she steps in and says, right, I'll take a charge here. Uh, you're going to do that. Well, wait a second. You didn't say anything for the first half hour of this movie. Why am I su- suddenly listening to you? I mean, you know, what's your well, you know, credentials here? She got her memory back a little bit by, by that point. I wouldn't trust you know, her. My biggest criticism of the film is the characterization. It's really poor, I think. Like, how do you mean? Well, Alice is quite conveniently amnesiac. And so is Spence, I think his name ended up being. Yeah. And and so we sort of, you you get these revelations through flashbacks, which are really really convenient. You know what I mean? They come at the right time, and you know if they if they come earlier, it would mean nothing. If they came later, it'd be too late. And so that that's a bit I think cheap. But it just seems that, especially early on in the film, as as John was saying, you know she she tags along she does nothing and she's you know she's not likable you don't feel anything for her you know, like if she if she got sliced up in the laser room I wouldn't have cared you know what I mean yeah I could see that and, and, and then I she's positioned to be one of the main characters and so I was going to say that thing with the characterization and the people being killed in the corridor it's like one of those things where they're just throwing a bunch of characters in to be death fodder you know there's so many people actually die in that hallway yeah I, I could swear there was I think the medic I hadn't seen her before <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I hadn't actually noticed her, you know. Yeah, now that now that you mention it, I don't think I did see her before that. And then, and then and then he and then he calls medic medic when he's got his fingers chopped off, and then she's standing there and she's looking at his laser that comes and you know I think chops her head off. So. Yeah. But the thing is, that guy on the floor, right? Now, uh, the first laser beam decapitates the woman. She's dead. Okay. Second laser beam, uh, the guy tries to jump it. He gets sliced in half. He's dead. And the black guy, you know, he jumps up onto the ceiling and he's whatever. Uh, but then the other laser beam comes and kills the black guy. What about the guy who lost his fingers on the floor? I didn't see anything kill him. He just lost. Well, that his was the guy that jumped. No, the guy that jumped. No, it wasn't. Uh, no, that was a different guy. No, it was a different guy. Yeah, there were two guys. There were three he just dies from from the cut on his hand. From the shock of it, like can, shock, you, maybe. Can't you go into shock? Because that's what one said. He said, that's "You're going to shock. Like, stay awake." Right? I need to you die eventually, but not that quickly. You die in like, you know, several hours or so without medical attention. Not, oh, my hand, my finger, I lost my fingers. You know, people wouldn't be afraid to use knives in the kitchen if that was the case, wouldn't they? It's like, oh, come from <laughs> off. Five seconds later, they're dead. You know, ridiculous. But there's one thing, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the gas masks that the sanitation team, as they're called, when they come in, uh, the gas masks they're wearing are the same one that Hunk wears in the FMV in uh, Resident Evil 2. There was there was one guy that, like, uh, I don't know what his name was, but, like, his acting was horrible because every time they'd go in and sweep and clear a room, he'd, like, very mechanically look left and right and then look straight up 
like in, at the ceiling, and it looked very odd. Like you know, a special forces guy wouldn't aim his weapon at the damn ceiling like that. It's, it's really weird. Well, the only th- real thing I have to say about it is, uh, you know, I don't mind so much that there's cannon fodder characters. It's it's how they died. You know, you've got this horror ga- uh, movie. Well, the um, game movie that's supposed to be about a horror game full of zombies and monsters, and four people die in a laser room as opposed to getting eaten by zombies or killed by a monster or something, and I didn't like that. Yeah, that's true. And even on that, like, there was only two enemies, like zombies and the liquor. Exactly. It was sort of a... They sort of wasted it there. I mean, that could have involved something else. I mean, there wasn't even a tyrant in it, for God's sakes. Another point I'd like to make is the fact that why, I mean, I know this building and this facility is run by Umbrella, but why in God's name are there so many Umbrella logos on everything? You know, (laughs) do the people who work here, are they amnesiac or something? Do they have to be constantly reminded of where they work every day? It's like they're going along, it's like a cup of coffee in his hands, like, oh, I gotta go to the, oh, wait, no, what am I doing here? Sees the umbrella on the floor. Oh, yes, I work at Umbrella. Yes, there we go. <laughs> and even, it expands even to the hospital. Like, the hospital has a giant umbrella logo in between the uh, walkways. Yes, it does. You think, I was going to say, you'd think for a secret lab as well, of course, if something goes horribly wrong and they have to bury the thing, they don't want their name attached to it, yet it's, like, branded yeah. everywhere. No kidding. It's like, huh. There was also something else I noticed, like the train, you know, when they first get on it, if you if you've played Resident Evil Two, you see that the train at the end of that has a, it's called Galaxy, like five thousand, I think it is. But um, in the movie, it just says Alexi five thousand, and I think the reason for that is, there the uh, the G in Galaxy was written with uh, red ink in the uh, in the mo- in the game, and so they sort of like tried to copy that and just sort of failed without the <laughs> yeah, G. And yet, like Don was saying, like at the, at the Umbrella train yard, there's just umbrella logo after umbrella logo. It's all over the place. Like there's four wall panels lining the wall, and like on each one alternating is a big umbrella logo, and then a small umbrella logo, and a big umbrella logo, and a small one. It's like ridiculous. Yeah, like, way to be conspicuous there, umbrella. Like I don't know about you guys, but I found the first zombie encounter with uh, Rain. You know when they're they're the first encounter in the liquor holding room. Like it was really poorly done. Like it was all uh, action rather than horror. You know, it wasn't it wasn't scary at all. Like the zombies get blown back twenty feet from submachine guns and everything. It's just sort of yeah, yeah. You know, the sort of like you know rock music kicks in. It's like yeah, let's kick some ass. And it's it's not I scary at all. I say they weren't uh, being very conservative with their ammo. They were just like yeah, they were firing it willy nilly all these zombies. And then suddenly they say, "Oh, I'm running out of ammo." Well, why do you why do you think you're running out of ammo if you're using it so wastefully? <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> One shot to the head—that's all you need. Yeah, special. Another very strong when, angle there. When does when does uh, Rain point out you need to shoot them in the head? Like is it earlier on or later on? Uh, it's some point it's she and tells her. like the first encounter. She shoots the I'm woman in the head, sure. and she's like, "Bitches yeah. and standing now." It's like, wouldn't you work it out then, shoot them in the head, like, that early on? <laughs> no, that's not when she learned. The, the Red Queen told him. Oh, that's right. shoot them in the head. Oh. Well, sort of. Oh, you've got it but wrong. She, she... Leon came in, shoot them in the head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's his cameo. Scrub this virus for the face of this virus. Hey, who the hell was that guy? I don't know. Some asshole from RE4. 
in the future. But like, yes. at, uh, even at the dog scene, another thing that I found that was really comical, like Umbrella now makes bullet cartridges. You know, <laughs> it's like when you can see on the cartridges there's an Umbrella logo. Like when she's shooting the dogs, it's like what? This doesn't make Didn't any they sense. Did they? Did they? In I'm pretty sure because the Magnum that Jill uses to finish. Oh my Nemesis god! I think you're right. The Stars one. Uh, not a Stars. Sorry, an Umbrella. <coughs> One, and then you're Billy right. uses a oh, umbrella revolt. The movies are. And I think as it's the Matrix thing, you can see it's his umbrella on the underside. I think, I th- I think you're right. Cause, oh man, these movies are having a real detrimental impact on the on the games. But yeah, yes. no, it's but you, in the you got to remember in the introduction that it says umbrella manufacture nine out of ten consumer products in the, in the world or something. I, I don't blame the films. I blame Capcom for being lazy because it's like they're thinking. Oh, what do we do for Ori 6? Uh, I don't know what we should do. Let's just wait until they make a new film. We'll do whatever that does. What do you think we'll see in Ori 6 then? Psychic powers and sitting you know... I think it'll be a online first-person shooter. <laughs> <laughs> Squad-based first-person shooter. Army of Clones. Six. Yeah, Army of Clones. Oh, God. We'll have more on that in the news segment, though. Wait. And how about, like, when Alice goes to jump kick the dog, it's like, oh, no, that's, like, the turning point of the movie where it's like, uh-oh, this ain't gonna go well. But the only thing that happens in that scene, because that, that's just after they have the encounter with the zombies, mm-hmm. and then she wanders off on her own, for some bizarre reason, unarmed, and then the other bloke whose name escapes me, Matt. he wanders off and meets his sister. But so they, they just both wander off from the commandos, totally unarmed. Which yeah. is, I guess, what you do, and so, and then she sees these dogs, and then I guess she finds the pistol on the the zombie dude, and he looks really good as a zombie. Yeah, he doesn't look too bad. It looks maybe a bit. He, he's got good makeup. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the dogs so attacked guess, him. I was gonna say, I guess the dogs have been eating him because everyone else is sort of just turned by the virus, so yeah. they wouldn't have wounds to them. But I guess the dogs have been eating him, and the dogs mostly look good. There's a few points where you can tell it's a model on a trolley that just wheeled up to the camera. Are you serious? Yeah, if you watch yeah, it again, you can see which dogs have the skin on them and which ones are models. Oh my god. And then she, you know, she kicks the shit out of them and that's alright. But that's really irrelevant, that scene. Other than her getting a gun, which she could have probably got off the commandos. So. Another thing to notice, notice is in the laser grid sequence, right after that, after the, you know, they're all being killed, and then I think it's Alistair or whatever that walks in, and you you look and the camera pans down at the corpses and you can tell they're models but they're not even in the right position of where they would be like this no. one is oh yeah it's, it's... there's no cubes on the floor either actually there is but it's like it's, it? i seen them on the blu-ray when i paused it but it's very quick like it's when uh what's his face uh Kaplan when he looks down real quick you can see them but or maybe a, it might even be a reflection but you do see them on the ground somewhere during that scene and then all the bodies disappear. Yeah, there's a shot with all, where there's nothing there at all. Is there? And then, well, the character, yeah. one of the characters mentions it. He says, where's all the bodies? I guess it's some kind of an homage to the first game since all the bodies disappear after you leave a room and come back. <laughs> but wait, no zombies made it into there, did they? Like, how would one's... Nope. No. That's stupid. What, they ate the bones and all? <laughs> In the I think it's just I think it's just an homage to the game. The cues would be nice. That would go out of a fun do set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, zombies probably ate them. 
One other thing I noticed, like, in Umbrella Chronicles, in the very intro of the Resident Evil 3 one, it has Jill, like, snap a zombie's neck after she gets his head in her thighs. And I noticed Alice does the same thing in the tunnels when they're being attacked by the zombies. She grabs a pipe up there and snaps its neck. So there's, like, yet another thing that the game sort of took from the movies. Anderson keeps doing that in his movies. Does he? Yeah, he's in Mortal Kombat as well. The same exact thing. Good lord. The most prominent example of the films having an impact on the games is the Red Queen and White Queen in Umbrella Chronicles. The Red is queen. there a White Queen too? There's a White Queen? The, I don't... There was a White Queen, yeah. Where was... What? No, so. On the monitor, you know, Wesker's like, um... Uh, talk, he's on the monitor for the Tyrant, and it says, you know, Red Queen, so the triangle, and it shows White Queen next to it. The White Queen's in uh, Anderson's original script, too. Yeah, I'll touch on that in a bit. But I was, can I just go back to the um, the dog scene? Yeah. So Alice is there, and she gets her gun, and then Matt was it Matt? That was his name. Yeah. Is with Lisa, who doesn't even look like a zombie. You know, it looks like eyeshadows run a bit. <laughs> and so she's there, and of course Alice comes and saves the day. And then there's there's a bit of D and M work where they talk about her sister and stuff, and then. They get ambushed by zombies, but you never see it. They just run back to the commandos, you know. Oh, quickly, the zombies yeah. After go. Oh, you know, that, that that was a potentially good action scene, you know. Mm. So that there's there's these dogs, which, you know, there's it's totally irrelevant to the whole pacing of the film. It's just it's just a reason for Alice to run up some crates and kick a dog in the head. <laughs> and you then... have a flashback. Yeah, and then, so if they'd just, like, gone off together, got ambushed, and then sort of fought these zombies, and then gone back. But there's this, well, there's, you first see that zombie bashing on the other side of the glass, and you think you think zombies would be a bit persistent, but he, he must go off and get his friends or something for the ambush, because he's, <laughs> he's, he's missing for the rest of the scene, so yeah. he, I guess he comes back, but you just don't see it. And then they, then the zombies, for me, sort of just seem, they feel like a, a mechanism to just push the characters through the film yeah you know what I mean so you, yeah, definitely. there's always zombies behind them they can't go back they've got to keep moving forward there's just this sea of zombies well it's, it's like you in. said in your uh, in your notes that you sent us you, you felt that the the movie was just an entire setup you could just tell that it was just set up to be yes, that so, way yeah it feels like it doesn't feel like there's an interesting story and there's like a camera incidental to the story that's capturing something interesting Mm. It feels like, okay, you know, we've got three hours and we've got to get out of here and, you know what I mean, it's all contained, there's no, no real link to the outside world, yeah. to the ending, but it, it feels like it's a film, do you know what I mean? Well, was it, it was, a low, was it low budget, does anybody know? About 35, 40 million? So, sort of low budget-ish, I guess that might explain why they didn't really do outdoor scenes or anything like that. Still, you know, high profile. I mean, yeah. The uh, there's that last shot. The last shot in the movie um, was the only one done outside. Obviously, it was I think it was shot in Canada. Yeah, Canada. All places. Absolutely fantastic that last shot. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, the, uh, the funny. Sorry. I'll go real quick. The funny thing about that last shot is on the Blu-ray, you can see like there's supposed to be bodies over on the right side. There's like this plaza that's sort of to Mila's left, and you can see that. 
it's not really people laying down. It's just their cl- it's just clothes laid out in a loose form where people would be. <laughs> so like on the on the Blu-ray, that scene's kind of like, wait a minute, what? Did people just get naked and run around? <laughs> I, I noticed some stars logos on the police cars. And yeah. I don't know if they were dropped in on the DVD release because I didn't remember them. I didn't remember seeing any mention of stars in the original film. In the hmm. No, there's a stars logo. Also, the newspaper. I think mentions them. The one that is in the hanging oh. up with the uh, Romero reference. We should mention. Yeah. We should mention too that 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 paper was on sale by Premier Props on eBay a while back, and I actually scored a copy of it. It's it's like the New York Times with a uh, a couple false covers on it. There's like three or four uh, covers all over the sides that you could you know fold it in different ways, and it looked like a new newspaper. Excellent. But um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like Michelle Rodriguez, and uh, she sort of ruined. She certainly she's the worst thing about the film, in my opinion. Like this tough chick woman, like she just doesn't it doesn't really fit the part. It, I don't know, just why something she, about her personality, she, maybe. Yeah. Why does she always look constipated in every single scene she's in? <laughs> it's like the only facial yeah, expression she could do is, you know, is like. Uh, it's constipation. That's what it is. So, like I didn't, like I didn't like her in Lost, where she played pretty much the same role. And every every movie I see her, and she's like typecast. I don't know if it's her fault or if it's like the people that hire her or what. Like her range as an actor. All I've seen her do is the tough chick. You know, it's like yeah, I've seen enough of it. I don't want to see it anymore. But she, her, her tough chick character is she. She sort of plays two roles. Like she's got the um. The tough chick, you know, full of one-liners and the jock sort of role. Mm-hmm. But she's also the, you know, we're going to make it out of here alive sort of character, which is usually reserved for someone you like, not someone who's a bit abrasive. Well, she's, you know what I mean? She sort of gives up at near the end, like she wants Alice to kill her with the axe no, if, and everything. If you look at other films, like, see um, Hudson and Hicks in Aliens is the example I give, where they're, very, they're two different characters, and your reaction to both characters is really different. Yeah, like one's a very heroic one, and the other one's the chicken coward. He's a coward. Yeah. I like how, so, uh, how Hudson developed as a character. He developed a lot better than you know Michelle Rodriguez's character in there. Yeah, in, no, he doesn't. He sort of redeems maybe... himself because he he starts off being you know hey we're gonna go down there and kick some ass. You no, know, he's really you know badass, and then the gravity of the situation hits him, yeah. and he becomes a coward. But then, like you said, he redeems himself and picks himself up again. And there's that role in Resident Evil as well as Kaplan's role, because he tries to he goes to go kill himself and then he doesn't, yeah. and he comes back and saves the day. I liked Kaplan; he was cool. But wait, before him. we get on to Kaplan, Gene, you had something to say about Michelle? I was, yeah, I was just going to say if they delineated those two sort of stereotypes a bit, they might have got a bit more out of her. Yeah, like I, I, you know, it, it's been done better in other films. Is the point I'm making? Yeah. Speaking on Kaplan, though, he kind of reminds me of Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Did anybody else sort of get that? Like, during the scene where he's going to shoot himself. Yeah, his voice, he really sounds like him there when he's going to shoot himself. Sort of sounds like him. I don't know. (laughs) We should watch Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we will eventually, because I have Day of the Dead is 1985. Yeah. And Resident Evil is 2002. If you look at the makeup there... It's oh my really... god! This I think of the CG. 
The CG is the worst part of the film, though, because, like, even the that Red... Aged well. The Red Queen, like, when she turns her head to tell them that you're all going to die down here, it's, like, so horrible. Like, they just pivoted the head for the animation. But, it, like... It has an animatronics. Aged... Animatronics are much better. The, the Thing. Yeah. The Thing from the 80s looks considerably Fantastic. better than uh, uh, the rest Early of the Early 1980s, even. Yeah. And if you look at um, the Alien Queen, she's a fantastic technical achievement if you look at her. Actually, is a very good example to throw in here, actually. Uh, I think Paul Anderson did Aliens vs. Predator. Oh. Yes, he did. Now, mm. you, watch, you, watch, he did. you watch it and you think, okay, well, uh, I see um, these, these warrior aliens that run up and they all, you know, you can tell they're not real. You can tell they're not there. You know, they're not scary. Yeah. But then you watch Aliens... And you see the aliens come down from the wall. You, know, you see the aliens come out from the wall cavity, and they you think, "Oh my god, what's that?" You know, it looks real. You know, yeah. it's real because it is actually real. Yeah, the amazing thing about the amazing thing about that as well is that Cameron had like only a few alien suit for that. Like there was only so many they used, and so he just cut so it made a lot. There was like hundreds of them when there was only like a few. Yeah, I think I read it was about six suits and mirrors, and it looks unbelievably good. Yeah, I think that's the that's the way they should have gone with this. They shouldn't have re- relied on CG so much, you know. Practical effects and far outweigh uh, CG, in my opinion, because, like John said, just... it feels like it's actually there. It's scary, you know. But go ahead, Gene. If I can continue the aliens theme, if you look at Alien Three, where they did opt for CG on the um, the dog alien they use in that, that's aged terribly. Yeah. It's very very. Nowadays. And that was about 91, 92, I think. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 92, I think. Yeah. Alien Resurrection as well in 97, where they use CGI for that, and that doesn't look particularly good either. Well, the puppet at the end is horribly creepy. <laughs> Gave me nightmares. <laughs> but, um, beady eyes, skeletal nose. But, uh. Yeah, that's right. But, uh. I thought, I thought that they said that uh, they said um, uh, Brad Dourif is in the film, and when I saw that newborn alien, I thought, "Hey, that, is that Brad Dourif?" <laughs> <laughs> Same eyes and everything. All right, all right, we gotta get on with this though. But like, there's yes. also the one part where the Red Queen mentions that if you inject the T virus directly into the skin, you get a liquor, and then they, they she calls it a hunter, like a more faster, stronger hunter. And then, like, I guess feeding on the fresh DNA makes it mutate. Yeah. Gene, what do you that's have? Ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's, I don't know if you guys know what DNA is, but that's just stupid. So. Yeah. And, and do you see its transformation? It sort of just... Uh, and it's there. Yeah, it, elong- <laughs> <laughs> it elongates, and that's about it. So I think wacky sound effects would have made the film better. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that can be a side project for someone who's got more patience than I. But we're, yeah, we're and dumb. then... So it, there's a bit of fan service in including a liquor, and then I think it's the one shot where it escapes. Once you see it crawl through the wall in the sewers, and a few seconds before it mutates. So the liquor, as it's known in the games, must get about five or six seconds of screen time yeah. before you get this. I thought it. Thing. I thought it looked okay on the shot where it was going for Spence, like when it was coming down the wall, the ceiling there. Like, but other times it just looks pretty bad. Yeah, it, it hasn't aged well. And the blood on the floor as well. The blood, Spence's blood, what looks a... terrible. Well, it's that's practical effects there and everything, but yeah, the way he, it drags on, like, and the fact that it like licks the uh, camera that's watching it. How the hell would it even know? That's just retarded. 
this random camera. Yeah, it's, it's like it's blind as well. Actually, I'm thinking if you look at that liquor, because at, at the time only Resident Evil Two would have been out, and that in Resident Evil Two they're they're like um, big claws, muscly, you know, really agile mm -hmm. and lean and quite intimidating and you know the tongue's not their main weapon it's their bloody claws and then when they turn black they get the scythes on their hands you know they're really big and yeah. then if you look at what the lickers became in Outbreak and Umbrella Chronicles the same thing they're really skinny you know sort of like insect like nearly mm -hmm. and they just sort of cling to the wall and lick you you know for minimal damage well, I think it was... I'm just wondering if the if the the design of the film liquor, which is actually a bit similar to the Outbreak one, rather than the one in the the uh, Resident Evil Two, I wonder if that influenced that at all. Hmm. But then, like at the very end, you'll have when they open the doors and the liquor falls through the hatch, like it it scrapes its claws on the uh, on the on the rails, and then all of a sudden it bursts into flame. It's like what? Like why <laughs> why would it burst into flame? I don't understand. Like only after a couple seconds of scraping its claws, it just the entire thing is engulfed in fire. What is it, like, made of gasoline blood or something? But it's also, no. the tongue would just tear, you know, yeah. hold on and drag on the train like that. It's Ridiculous. Just, it's, it's, it's for the action, it's not for the realism. I just want to, was... just a quick, uh, cool fanboy of 1.5 comment. It's kind of interesting to note that, uh, in the train they have that bottom opening like that for whatever, and in 1.5, in, in part of the train, it has the bottom kind of open up like that, too. Ah. Okay, excellent. You know what this means? Anderson has a copy of 1.5. <laughs> oh, Everyone shit! Up to his house. Let's go. Get him. He's going to wake up in the morning and go, ah, oh, wakes up and opens the door, all his fans outside his house. Like, give us 1.5. <laughs> you know. the... gonna... Go ahead, Rob. Sorry, I was going to say, the, the liquor thing I'm pretty sure was, was Anderson talking to Capcom going, what else can we do to this to this movie that you know, you'll be happy with that you want to see in there? And I think that was one of the things they suggested was the end of the film to be with the liquor and all that. Um, yeah. I don't think that was originally part of his plan. So I mean, that was a Capcom edition. So if they could have even suggested the way it was killed based on the background of one point five. Yeah, but but the but the very end of the movie, I kind of liked it the way it sort of ties it up like Matt you know I want him in the nemesis program and all that I sort of like I was like you know since I I went into this knowing it was going to be a separate universe I was like ooh okay I see where they're going to where they're going to go with this and it gave me hope that there was going to be a sequel for it but if you look at that ending scene of just the chaos on the streets that that sort of says to me that's where the film should have been not not down in the underground mucking around you know with... well they had to set it up or else it would just be like what oh but I mean there's other films that have set up. There's other films that have set up, you know, the chaos with you know very minimal things. And if you look at Romero's films, especially, you know, it's never even explained. They say it could be a virus yeah. or a bacteria. But but on that point though, that'd be like just starting the Resident Evil series with two. So you know, I mean, it has precedence. They were basing it on the first movie or the first that's true, game. So that's true. But I'm thinking more of a film goer who you know didn't know what to expect going in. Uh. Sort of, you'd think. That's where the action, especially if you make an action film, that's where you'd want to set the film. And if you look at the games, the most obvious one to translate to the screen would probably be three, I think. Mm. It's also interesting 22. to note that uh, William Birkin plays a role in the film, the first film, what? where he's uh, portrayed by Jason Isaacs. 
However, uh, Isaacs didn't return to the sequels, so instead they brought in Ian Glenn, who is, you know, the poor man's Jason Isaacs, <laughs> to play a character called Dr. Isaacs, which Anderson named oh, in honor of Jason Isaacs. That's pretty good. But which part was... I can't... I can't remember exactly in Apocalypse. That it's Is it Birkin? No, Isaacs. Yeah. And he's they're, they're getting him out on the helicopter, is that right? This is all... Yeah, they're getting him out on the city, but yeah. um, oh, there's there is a special feature. I think it was originally only included in the UK DVD release. I think Rob, you uploaded it to your website, and because uh, like the US audience didn't see this because the original DVD release didn't have it, but it was the alternate ending where Alice goes to Umbrella HQ and then pulls out a like oh god, what are you? It's like a M16 with like a rocket launcher on the very end of it. <laughs> and um, I was watching this with the commentary, and Anderson's like, and then, and then the missile comes out, and it's like, and, and it shoots towards him, and then it breaks apart, and then there's lots of little missiles inside of it. And it just sort of gave you a glimpse into his head where it's like this this child who is so easily amused at all these various toys and this very stupid concept of a missile breaking apart. You know, the missile itself would have been, like, no bigger than a paper towel roll, you know? <laughs> and, like, to have that break apart and have mini-missiles in it, it's like, isn't that a bit redundant? <laughs> That's awful. But, yeah, it's... I'm glad, I'm glad no, they went... Really... No logic in that man's brain. <laughs> I'm glad they went with the original <laughs> ending. There. I, I was going to say, I, I remember quite seeing those publicity stills with Anderson's T-shirt that says, Try Harder on it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now, I'm going to, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but the um, Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass imagery. I've heard about this, but I didn't really check it Did out. Did anyone notice? I, I honestly so you, I yeah. didn't. I've, I've, I've noticed it. Lots of it's hidden. Lots of it what? Lots of it's hidden that you, like there's bits in it yeah. as well that you can't tell, like there's real, I mean, real blatant stuff like, you know, the character's called Alice. Um, but there's like the the, the um, paperweight that she uses to kill Matt's sister is a Alice in Wonderland paperweight, like stuff that like that. I think you would say that. Um, well, I don't know. You might be able to see it on the Blu-ray, but this is what I noticed. Um, so Alice, when she figured out there's a um, uh, a cure, she sees a white rabbit, which is of course the the beginning of Alice in Wonderland. She follows the white rabbit down the rabbit hole. And that's sort of one that drops out of the sky, you know. There's an antivirus that, that's totally unseen before. And that's, I guess that's a pretty cheap sort of way to turn the film. Well, there's another way of looking at it. There's uh, another reference to Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen. Because Alice is the, uh, the, the Queen point. of Hearts. And, the, you know, Queen of Hearts, hearts are red and in playing cards. So Red Queen, I guess that's possibly... No, there's actually... Um... There's, I'm quite certain there's a Red Queen in Through the Looking Glass, which is the sequel to Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. Well, no, I'm sure of it. Yeah, the, the character's called the Red Queen. The Red Queen, her thing is, um, what, uh, it's been about a year or so, about two years since I read the book. I think it's, she says, to, to get anywhere in this world, you have to run as fast as you can. And then, no, to, I think to keep up in this world, you have to run as fast as you can. And to actually get anywhere, you have to go twice as fast as that. And I, but I don't I don't know what rele- I think something like that. But I don't know what relevance that has that has to the film other than the namesake. And also, um, what was I going to say? Oh, she says 
She's got employees and she says, I'll, I pay you jam every second day, yesterday and tomorrow, but never today. What? So it's just, that, that's Lewis Carroll being, you know, cryptic and oh, okay. on opiates. But um, I don't, that, that, that never makes it into the film. It's just the character's name. So the, at least the three I picked up are the Red Queen, Alice, well, the Red Queen and the White Rabbit. There's also, now, the, um, I think the house in the original script is referred to as the Looking Glass or something like that. Looking Glass House? Yeah, Looking Glass yeah. House, yeah. Yeah, that's from Through the Looking Glass, yeah. But anyway, um, the, the minor point is it's all superficial. So if the computer had a different name, it wouldn't matter. The rabbit was yeah. black and brown, wouldn't matter. So it's... I, I, I just don't... It, it tries to be something more than it is, and it, it sort of falls flat on its face. Yeah. And the biggest <laughs> problem i got with this, the biggest problem is that Alice is never mentioned by name in the film. <laughs> How are you meant to pick up these Alice in Wonderland references, which they've very intentionally put in there? I don't know for what purpose, but they have. If you don't know the main character's name, they could have even like <laughs> had Spence say it, like when she regains her memory and he Absolutely. regains his. You know? Yeah. Is, we, is it, we don't... Sorry, is it even so, mentioned in the credits? Like, yeah. is her name actually? That's the only place. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. It's... Yeah, but you know, that's after the feature. How how do you? I just it's so frustrating and there's that's the biggest flaw in characterization I can think of than not naming your main character. Yeah, that's weird. It's like, not why wouldn't she it's say not to the Why wouldn't she say Yeah, why wouldn't she say that it, you know, this is my name to to any of them. By the way, this is my name. Yeah. I just remembered. Yeah. Call me this. And but they even even the other characters don't give her a nickname or just a handle, you know, that you can get any sort of empathy with her. Yeah. And anyway, so you don't... You, I, I don't know about this Alice in Wonderland. It's sort of all missing. It's missing a big piece of the puzzle. And I actually, I actually remember... that I, I later checked, and it is in the credits, but when I saw the, fil- the film in theatres, I didn't stick around long enough to bloody read the credits. <laughs> I was right you, out of there. You walked out? Yeah, I was... Actually, I, I should... I didn't tell my story earlier. I was on, um, I was on crutches at the time. <laughs> So, I mean, I was really pumped to see it, and I couldn't drive a car, so I had to pay my brother. I had to pay him petrol, or gasoline, you Americans call it. Mm. Pay for the gas, and pay for his ticket and my ticket, so he'd take me to see it. <laughs> and so I'm on crutches, and I hobble into the theatre, and oh, I'm so let down. And then, you know, I hobbled out of there as fast as I could, so I didn't see her name <laughs> in the credits. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that that's, that's the thing. You go in, and you've got all these expectations, and, and you, you spend all this money... And then you're like, ah, oh, disappointment. And you just yeah, you don't want to get out there quick enough. Yeah, I was about 15 or 16 at the time. So you go into the film and halfway, halfway through the film, you're trying to beat yourself to death with your crutches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But when, I think you guys probably just went in expecting too much. Or I, I, I went in and, like, as I said to you, I saw Spider-Man the same night and... Um, and Spider-Man was a real disappointment for me first, and then I went saw Resident Evil second. And the the irony of that is, though, in, in America, those are the two biggest, like the series, the entire Spider-Man series, and the entire Resident Evil series, the two biggest money makers for Sony screen gems, <laughs> like first and second. And um, they were both really, really disappointing. But I enjoyed Resident Evil more than I enjoyed Spider-Man. So I mean, I, I came out feeling not too bad, but I think the more I thought about it, I was just like, I felt really gypped. I was just like I was expecting. I wasn't expecting too much, but I wasn't expecting what I got either. <laughs> like I but, said, um, that's, a, that's a double whammy of epic failure. I think. <laughs> if 
I, if I can get back to it, um, the, the, the point I realized that Alice's name was actually Alice was when I saw promotional posters for Apocalypse, and the tagline was, my name is Alice, and I remember everything. Ah. And so it, it's nearly as if the, they thought, oh, shit, we didn't give her a name, you know, we better <laughs> write this wrong now. Yeah, because that's a really odd tagline, don't you think, for a film? Yeah. My name is Alice, yeah. and I remember Unless you've seen the first, it doesn't make any sense to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what's this film about? Some woman called Alice who remembers who she is? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, if I can... Um, I was watching uh, Zero Punctuation yesterday. His review of Fable 2. It's not a review. Don't treat them like reviews. They're just rattles. <laughs> and so... But he said... Um, you know, he said people have been saying about Fable 2, don't judge it as an action RPG. Judge it as a life simulator or something else. And he said, well, why don't we judge it as a Frisbee? Why don't we judge it as something a time traveler would have seen? And so... <laughs> I, because sort of people are making up for their their uh, their expectations not being met, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having expectations going in to see a film that you've paid money to watch or a game you've paid money to play. Yeah, but weren't you following the movie before you seen it? I mean, didn't you know that it wasn't really going to follow the games? It wasn't going to be cohesive with the games and all that. Yeah, no, I knew that, but it was still a bad movie. That's the thing. <laughs> he he could have he could have bastardized the lore all he wanted, but as long as it was enjoyable to watch. And had something yeah. redeeming about it, it, you know, I'm fine with that. But I, 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 I was gonna say, I think maybe maybe we should say one thing they really liked and one thing they really hated about the movie, and you can see the probably see the contrast. Because I mean, like, uh, I thought filming wise it was fine, but plot and character development were absolutely poor. So I mean, that's why I didn't like the movie. It wasn't because of the way it was. It did or didn't connect to the existing universe. It was just. Yeah, I didn't like it because it was a terrible film. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, I've, I've leveled my criticisms of what the film was. I mean, we can play hypotheticals about what it wasn't all day long. So you, you can only judge what was presented to you. And I think as a film on its own, even disconnected from the universe, because it is, it's just a really poor film because, you know, as I said, the characterization and some of the makeup and things, the pacing, I think it's sort of set up to be, feels like, you know, nearly a video game where it's got a defined start and finish and the scenario is really rigid. So we're we done with the uh, the movie itself? Yep. I'm yeah, pretty much so. Okay. <laughs> so after the break, we'll be right back with the second segment, which is news. I came to this city as an engineer more than 35 years ago. I have made contributions to the city's electrical system and helped with the installation of the cable car. In 1992, it was my fifth year as the mayor of our beautiful city. It was then that through many donations and hard work, our city was able to rebuild the municipal building and create a state-of-the-art hospital. I pledge to follow the tradition of this fine city and will devote my life to its prosperity. Paid for by the citizens of Michael Warren for mayor. Okay, so first up in the new segment, we have a rumor... Uh, Resident Evil 5 confirmed for PC, and it will be day and date with consoles. This is still under speculation. Uh, I guess Capcom sent an updated release schedule to the website MCV, which lists Resident Evil 5 as being for PC as well as for 360 and PS3. Uh, it says that the sa- it'll be released the same date, March 13th. Uh, Capcom Shack News contacted Capcom for a comment, but they they responded saying that they can neither def- deny or confirm a PC version. I think we all know one is coming, but it's just the question is when, you know? 
Yes. Do you think Ubisoft are going to be you know, handling it again? No, or? not at all, because Capcom, Capcom has the framework engine, which is, it, they're building Resident Evil 5 on PC first and then porting it to the console, so it's already, yeah. you know, it's already done. Uh, what was the case I, I, of RE4 then, was that? That was, I think somebody said Source Next was the developer behind that, and then Ubisoft just published it in Europe, I think it was. Oh, okay. The the um, I was going to say the the, the Devil May Cry four version on PC was absolutely amazing. Yeah, like the yeah. Uh, the increases to everything that it did, like the modes and the number of uh, enemies on the screen and stuff was just incredible. So it'll be very interesting to see what it, what changes it has. But I I think it'll be cutting themselves a bit short to release it the same day. Yeah, I think most people with a PC cable would probably pick it up on that. If I can just like cut in there, um. I was in Osaka last week looking at um, just looking at TVs and stuff and computers. I need a new hard drive, but sort of nine out of ten computers they've got do, like just showing demo games. It's Devil May Cry Four. <laughs> so I, it, does it, I don't know. I don't follow PC gaming, but I guess that says something for the engine and their optimizations. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of PC gaming. I think I think it I think PC gamers are pretentious. How they would go out and spend one thousand pounds plus on getting a nice blue light in their tower or something, and so I got this uh, GeoForce Mac Free Seven Plus Mega in my PC. What does it do? Oh, I don't know. It makes you play games really uh, well. Uh, you know? uh, I have one thousand trophies on the PS3. Oh yeah, what uh, do they do? Uh, <laughs> they, they, they make my penis larger. That's about it. The PS3 is a legitimate console. All right, all right. Enough of that. So in other news, uh, Resident Evil Realm, that's ResidentEvilRealm.com, all one word. They got a couple interviews up. Uh, Interviews are also available in English here, by the way, uh, with several motion actors from Resident Evil 5. There's even a Leon interview from his actor in Degeneration, so be sure to check that out. Um, I thought it was Wooden Doll in Degeneration. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was an accident, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, a new trailer for Biohazard Remake Wii is up on the official site. It features the intro to the game along with some gameplay footage. i never seen this one before, so I think they actually took the time to make a new trailer for this rather than do what they did with Zero. Well, and... it's exactly the same. I mean, yeah. what Nintendo are doing now is they are porting GameCube games onto the Wii and rebranding them. I think Gene was telling me about this earlier. Yeah, that doesn't give me a lot of faith in the console. No. Or the future especially of the Especially considering you can play the GameCube game on it anyway. Yeah, yeah but they're, they're kind of like tricking all these people who bought the Wii, because people who play the Wii are like either young people or old people and don't know any better. So they'll just think, oh, a new game for the Wii, not knowing that you know it's like just a GameCube game and it'll play anyway on it. So they're just rebranding it and reselling it. Well, I think... The reason for that is because you know they don't make any sales on the secondhand secondhand market, you know, because that's the only place where you can get lots of these games now. So that's true too. But if you think that the um, the GameCube uh, user base is much much smaller than the Wii's even today, yeah. so just the number of games, the copies actually pressed, aren't going to sort of satisfy the Wii user mm-hmm. base now if they so want those games. But the thing about Nintendo, Nintendo are probably the worst games company because most of their sales uh, come from uh, selling units when a lot more money comes from selling the software and you know 
they're going to have trouble with that if all they can churn out is the same Mario game over and over again. Well, that all when depends, because, the... I mean, depending on how much your console costs, Nintendo has been making a profit on Wii since day one, you know, and, that, and that's only just increasing every year. It's basically a GameCube, so, I mean... They and I really... think they will win the console war, but, yeah. All right, getting, yeah. Al- getting along, though, here. Uh, GameSpot's yeah. latest on the spot has a clip of Chris Kramer from Capcom playing through the Tokyo Game Show demo of Resident Evil 5. Okay, so next up, PlayAsia has begun taking pre-orders for the Biohazard Degeneration limited box set. Uh, it's limited to 5,000 mates, so you'll want to get that fast. Uh, these things tend to sell out rather quick. Uh, but be warned, because the price tag is $129 US, so yeah. Uh, they also have the uh, soundtrack for Biohazard Degeneration. It looks like it's got a DVD included with it, but we're not exactly sure. At the time of the posting, we weren't sure, but we are later on. I'll expand on that in a bit. But uh, the CD is there for thirty-seven ninety. So, but it's G- a DVD as well with that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a DVD included. Capcom recently released some internal sales projections for some games they're going to be releasing: uh, Street Fighter Four, Resident Evil Five, and Dead Rising Wii. Uh, but for Resident Evil Five, they hope that three. 0.2 million copies of the game will be sold. I think they could probably hit that, given that, you know, the series... I think probably the majority will come from Xbox, like, at least in the U.S. According to Eurogamer, a reliable source close to the studio Blue Castle has told them that the studio is currently working on Dead Rising 2. Uh, how do you guys feel about this? Because Blue Castle is like, uh, they've made the bigs, I think. The, you, mostly just sports studios, so it seems really odd that they'd contract this out, especially because it's a you know a good IP, a brand new IP to subcontract the sequel out. Seems kind of weird to me, doesn't it? A little bit. Like I'd hope they'd be working on the same engine because that engine's really nice, and like if they'd pass it along to a different developer like that, if if this is true, because it's just a rumor at the moment, you know. But I hope it's not. But we did have that. We did have that news story a while back that they. It was some company in the U.S. that was developing it, but I don't know. There was, there was a, a couple of other reports saying it was going to be the, the, the same company's name came up at about six months ago. So mm. I don't know if it's the same rumor again or if it's it's actually true and that's why it's come up again. But, um, well, yeah. I, I hope it's not because I, I want for Capcom to develop it internally because they did a good job with one. You know, I think they could do a good job with two. So the, the first had a cliffhanger ending, didn't it, where they it really sets up for sequels. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah kind of did, yeah. Okay, so some information regarding the extra features for the Degeneration release have surfaced. Uh, one of the features, Generation of Degeneration, as you might have already guessed, is a making-of video for the film. It runs for 30 minutes and will include comments from the director, producer, and uh, all. And it'll include video footage of the motion capture sessions they'd had for that. Uh, another feature is... Uh, Ah, the inclusion of Japanese dubbing. Uh, Japanese voice actors will be hired for dubbing, but there's no word on whether it'll be on the English DVD release for that. But um, apparently... Maybe the lip sync... I was going to say, maybe the lip sync will be better. Maybe. (laughs) But the... uh, Well, I don't think so, because they just said dub. They didn't say, you know. And then finally, for the Biohazard release, they'll have both English and Japanese languages, as well as subtitles included. So if you want to import it, you could probably watch it just fine. There's a Resident Evil 5 developer interview up at 1UP. Um, you might remember parts of this from the EGM story, but uh, I guess there was a whole lot more that they didn't publish in the magazine. I guess they just ran out of space, but 
there's a lot of uh, questions and answers that were removed from the magazine, so you'll probably want to check that out. Uh, next up, IGN have uploaded the first eight minutes of uh, Resident Evil Degeneration. So if you can't wait, go ahead and take a look at that. I guess it sort of does it end. Does anybody here watch it? Yeah, I watched it. Does it sort of end? Does it sort of end on a like cliffhanger? Yeah, it does. Ah, okay. Um, next, I won't say because I don't know people have listened yeah. to the podcast about it, but yeah, it's the, it's the, it is the first start of the movie, so it's the first twelve minutes. Yeah. Uh, next up, Capcom have recently released updated sales data charts. Uh, most of the numbers are the same as before. Resident Evil Two is still the highest selling game in the Resident Evil franchise, and Capcom's second highest game overall. Uh, for I found it interesting though that the the series unit sales that Resident Evil is number one with them, fifty titles, and it has thirty four million five hundred thousand sold. And the next highest is the Mega Man series, hundred and twenty titles at twenty eight million. So it kind of gives you a perspective there that you know Resident Evil really is their bread and butter. Where's Street Fighter? Mm-hmm. Street Fighter is number three, fifty nine titles, oh. twenty five million. Then next up, uh, Disney series, thirty three titles. <laughs> Thirteen million two hundred thousand, and finally, Devil May Cry. Surprisingly, ten titles, nine million five hundred thousand. Not a big series, then Devil May Cry. Yes, yeah, interesting. I think the ten titles, lots of them are cell phone and all these other ones. Oh yeah. Next up, uh, Eurogamer has a new Resident Evil Five article. It's sort of a hands-on preview with the game. Uh, where they have Takeuchi goes over some stuff on the game. Uh, they cleared up the play length confusion, citing that the play length ranges from 10 to 30 hours depending on the gamer's familiarity with the game. Uh, other issues like technical elements, PS3's hard disk install, and the possibility of a Resident Evil 2 remake are discussed. That's kind of interesting, though. 10 hours, that seems really short compared to RE4, you know? Like, I, can, I could get through that maybe like maybe 10 hours if I run through the damn game, but like if I'm exploring everything, it's like 20, 20, 25 hours, something like that. Really? I hope they don't... I don't... I don't... Yeah, because they, they previously discussed the length, and they were just sort of saying that they wanted to make it a shorter game than 4, and people sort of freaked out over that. This game's had a massive gestation time, so... Yeah. Huge. I don't know why they're going to make it so short. I don't know what they're spending their time on. But... I think... It... Just next gen development, like a lot of it is the art assets and everything has got to be really high res. But even like, if you think of that, like what they didn't make high res assets before and then scale them down. Of course they did, you know. But but what do I know? I'm not a game developer. So anyway, uh, moving on. Paul Anderson has confirmed that the Alice clone army that is revealed in the end of the third movie, Extinction, will return for the fourth movie. Yay! Did anyone see Death Race? No. no. Did he do that? No. Yeah, yeah, he did it. That's that. That was the interview that he was giving was about Death Race, uh. and they asked him. Okay. Um. Next up, I guess there were some fears that Resident Evil Five would be censored a bit for release in European territories. Uh, no doubt, these rumors were fueled by a couple high-profile games that were recently cut, like Fallout Three. You know the the drug name censorship and all that kind of stuff, but, uh... Wait, Fallout 3 was censored in Europe? Well, no, it got censored everywhere after they... After the, I think it was the Australian Rating Board. They denied classification no, for, uh... For the mor- drug morphine, I think it was. Oh, uh, they never said, just... I think it was realistic drug use yeah, and the, paraphernalia. So they yeah. just changed the name of the drug to something goofy, like the Fallout series always had, and everyone was like, 
everything Morphine was okay. Morphine isn't, isn't, isn't like heroin or whatever. It's well, a it isn't. Drug. It's, it's, so you can get addicted to it. Yeah. But, it's good stuff. But let me get on with this, because <laughs> not to worry for Resident Evil 5 fans, a Capcom Europe executive has confirmed that the game will not be censored. The Capcom executive says, uh, we're never going to create a gore-free Resident Evil title just to try to get a lower rating, as it's a game about a horror experience, and the gore is part of that. It says, Rise Cash is his name. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. He, but he's Capcom. Race. What's that? It's going to be Race. Race. Okay. <laughs> Capcom UK, but he's Capcom UK's research and planning manager. Um, it's game, not a British name. I'm sort of avoiding all the clips from Degeneration, but uh, game trailers. Boy, when it's this country nowadays, so I'm surprised. Game, game trailers has an exclusive uh, clip of the game up there. Also, uh, E Capcom. This is what we were referencing earlier. E Capcom has uh, added the Degeneration soundtrack to their page, along with it some details on what's contained inside the DVD. So first up is movie trailers. There's quote-unquote guilty Biohazard Degeneration original clip version, Comic-Con international version. These are trailers for Degeneration, I'm assuming. Uh, Then there's movie trailers for Biohazard 5, Biohazard Wii, Biohazard Zero Wii, uh, Biohazard Umbrella Chronicles Wii, Biohazard 4 Wii, Biohazard 4 PS2, Biohazard Co-Veronica Complete PS2, and 28-something. I'm assuming 28 days later. Gene, maybe you know what this is off the top of your head. Let me paste wait, it. Wait, what link? Can you send me the link? I'll just send you that, because I got it on a text document. Uh, 28 minutes. Oh, well, I don't know what that is. is. We'll maybe ag- the total runs. Yeah, we'll, we'll ignore that. Um, but uh, uh, can I just say, the Guilty is the Japanese theme song for it. Oh, okay. So maybe it's a then- video. Maybe it's a music video. Yeah. And the the international version, the Comic Con trailer, had the fantastic Biohazard Two music underneath. Ah, very nice. So that they must know that the, uh, the you know the international market's not too fond of J-pop, J-rock. <laughs> okay, it's, it's a, a pretty bad song. Finally, it seems that uh, Bionic Commando 3D release may contain the Resident Evil Five demo. Uh, but at the moment, there's only one source for this, and it's a site I never heard of called Mighty Ape. But I guess it could lend credence to Judd, Ben Judd's claim that Capcom has an ace up its sleeve concerning the 3D release. Uh, but like I said, take it with a grain of salt. Um, now, the, Capcom yeah. do this in the past, haven't they? They've done this in the past. Yeah. Well, I, that, that's I funny, because I, I read somewhere that uh, an RE5 demo was, you know, it was it was coming very soon. I mean, on the PSN, I don't know, about the Xbox When Well, when is uh, Bionic Commando going to be released, you know? Next year, sometime, I imagine. Huh. Well, I don't know. within three months, I think, they could probably do a demo. But I, I have no doubt that it'll appear on the PSN and the, 360, you know, the Xbox Live, but, but just like having a physical copy, I think that would be pretty cool. I know, did, um, Code Veronica came with a Devil May Cry demo? Or did Devil May Cry come with Code Veronica well, demo? Uh, yeah. Code Veronica with Devil May Cry? Yeah. And also, Biohazard 2 Value Plus came with the Code Veronica Trial Code Edition. Trial. Yeah. And, and Resident Evil 3 does cut with uh, Resident Evil 2 demo. And, and did Dino Crisis have a Resident Evil 3? Yeah. RE3 had a yes. Dino Crisis. Yep. Yeah, so they do this a lot. Mm-hmm. So. It, it wouldn't surprise me. But um, next up, 15 new Resident Evil 5 shots have been released, screenshots. Uh, mostly areas we've seen already, but nice to see them in higher resolution. Uh, Capcom has released the box art for the Biohazard Wii version. 
due out in Japan, 12.25 for 41.90 yen. Uh, Biohazard 5 will be at the Games Festa Japan event, which will be taking place today. Uh, the game will be shown in video form, though. Unfortunately, there will be no playable demo. Cap and finally, the Capcom blog Unity. The Capcom blog Capcom Unity are holding a contest. Five lucky Capcom Unity members members will be able to play. Ah, will be able to go to an early screening of Resident Evil Degeneration. Uh, the contest is simple. You just have to tell them who amongst Leon and Claire uses more hair care products and what it is that makes their hair better. The point of the contest is to submit humorous entries. I like that they at least acknowledge it. Yeah. He's a big girl. They they can have a laugh at themselves. I think that's good. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for the news. Let's move into the uh, development discussion for the movie. Where can you go for the finest weaponry in Raccoon City? Kendo Gun Shop. Who does the RPG trust with all their firearm customization? Kendo Gun Shop. Where can you get the latest firepower? Kendo Gun Shop. For 20 years, Kendo Arms has been keeping our streets safe. Utilizing our years of experience and knowledge, we give you peace of mind and the best in home security. Whether you're a competition shooter or into home security, Kendo Gun Shop has you covered. As my brother Joe says... But don't you worry, we keep it a close eye on things. So I guess, you know, because I wasn't really around in the community at the time, you know, I sort of drifted away from Resident Evil back when they started discussing the Resident Evil movie and everything like that. But, um, I guess, like, when did you first hear about it? Um, I, I remember there was a lot of discussion in 97, um, because it was a lot of hype for the series at the time. Yeah. And, um, and I think, I think it was... It was going to be like a really short track production because I remember it was early, like, you know, you're talking like E3 97. Mm-hmm. So, and they wanted to get it out, you know, not long after Resident Evil 2. And that was due out at the end of the year at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was it was going to be a quick turner and it was like, we're going to shoot this movie and it's going to be out in like next year, like a year, but like a summer release in the States. Was there any directors or, you know... No, no, nothing at all. Okay, um, so it was just Capcom saying that they wanted to do it. Yeah, it was basically Capcom. I think that's, I mean, obviously, um, uh, the film company that did it, um, the German company, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, Constant, they had the rights to it. Yeah, Constantine, Sorry? right? Yeah, yeah, they bought the rights to it you know, pretty much straight away because ah. it was making money. Um, and so I assume it was them attached as well. I mean, I don't I don't think if their name was attached at the time, but I definitely know it would have been them that held the, held the rights to it, so... Yeah. It was probably them and Capcom saying, yeah, we're going to make this movie because it's doing really well and people love it. Um, and then, of course, obviously they attached that competition to the release of Resident Evil 2 when a part in the movie, which yeah. <laughs> they did. Um, did we ever find out I remember, if that, you know, if that came to pass? <laughs> yeah, well, I remember I remember there was, I mean, there was always, the rumors at that stage, especially um, 98 and 99, were just always ridiculous too, like, because it obviously got kept getting held back, and then it wasn't going to happen, and they didn't yeah. know who was going to be the screenwriter or the director, and who's going to be in it, and and so there's all these rumors for like for like at least two years about you know oh the the scriptwriter is going to be um, Alan McElroy, you know um, it's going to be a bunch of you know like Samantha Mathis and um, that guy from Speed Two, <laughs> um, Jason Patrick, and um, you know like um, just. Yeah, really, really bad casting choices. Uh, that like it's all rumors, so no one actually knew if there was anything. 
There was a poster as well. I remember um, a poster came out. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen it. With um, the yellow eyes above the mansion? Yes, with the yellow eyes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But interesting, the interesting thing about that is that the um, that, that internet poster with the tagline still applies the the actual finished film with the exact same tagline. Oh, my God, I know. So it's like... <laughs> Whether or not that actually was a true poster or not, I'm, I think it, I'm still not sure to this day. I think it might have been because in in uh, in the Toy Fair magazine that I have, like where the it shows the figures and everything, it actually has that poster and it mentions you know that it's like a, the work in progress version. <laughs> but it, 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 the, the, the eyes, yeah, it's kind of weird, especially eventually you know with what happened to Wesker. It's kind of... <laughs> I got like, it's kind of look kind of similar. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, I mean, um, oh, I remember, another rumor I remember is a uh, Bruce Campbell. Really? <laughs> Bruce Campbell. Yes. There was, um, there was, um, yeah, I, I don't know how his name got attached to some guy. He actually, he actually put on his website, an official website, and he, um, he actually said, no, I'm not involved. Stop asking. <laughs> so I guess he got a lot of inquiries about it. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, um, stuff like the NC Movie Database didn't help as well because I mean, anyone could just put up information yeah. about when it was, um, you know, what was going to go on and, and and so forth. So I guess that sort of perpetrated a lot of what a lot of actually happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think it wasn't until um, when Romero was put on put on board for the uh, commercial for for Biohazard Two, right? Yeah. That. Um, you know, that was when I think it got all kind of started to get real about, you know, putting him in charge of the movie. Um, cause Capcom obviously liked the idea. They got him on board with the commercial and were happy with the result of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, I mean, I, I could easily believe that was the case. And obviously that was a kind of a 98, 97, 98 kind of thing at the end of 97. Yeah. Um, putting that commercial together. So, um, I, I, you look at the long development of it. I mean, it was, that was an entire, the entirety of 98, uh, in 99 before they had some scripts that they were any partially happy with obviously yeah now um, was Romero the first director that was brought you know actually made a script for it do you know or I, I have no idea like they've been real quiet about it I, I get the feeling it probably wasn't considering it had been <clears throat> kind of announced a year before yeah but Romero was definitely on board the longest until Anderson was picked but it was still like an, a, a year between when we first heard Anderson was going to do it and when he actually was announced officially mm-hmm. so i mean that shows you how i mean the movie was one of those movies that keep getting listed in those movies in development hell kind of thing. <laughs> yeah um, you know because it had been you know three four five years uh, in the making and um and, and it's quite interesting i mean a lot of people now talk about it in the, in the sense of um reinventing i hate to say the word reinventing it's not really true but i mean re- <laughs> reinvigorating the zombie genre you know yeah yeah um because after that week you know there's a lot of movies that started coming back out and then you had yeah. um, snyder's dead remake and all this and and so it was it was kind of like you know i, I mean i think ramiro himself got it you know there's this quotes from him talking about making the commercial about how how he felt about resident evil which you know like it was it, they, they were they were you know, on on the same level as him, you know, they got they got the idea from him, but he yeah. kind of was real keen to do it, and um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's um, it's um, one of those things. I, I guess they they kind of wanted to to go in his direction because they felt they, you know, they that he they were honoring him for yeah. making the game. Yeah, and now so. Eventually, a script leaked out on the internet. I think you probably know a lot more about this than me, so I guess I'll let you take it. It was uh, Romero's script. 
Well, that's an interesting thing. At the time, um, was this when Anderson's movie had been announced and the, 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 the summary, a summary had turned up online first from, I think it was like, you know, uh, Variety or something. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, giving a, a brief outline of the plot. And um, then afterwards, a, a, a US, New York-based casting agency put out a casting call and uh, had all the roles written up for Anderson's movie. And of course, it created this big outcry about supercomputers and homicidal <laughs> supercomputers and, yeah. and crazy cast members called Rain and One and stuff like this. And of course, uh, it just, you know, up in arms for petitions and craziness. And of course, at the same time, I was part of uh, what used to be the old um, news group, which was uh, alt.games slash Resident Evil or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so there was me and a couple other guys just talk a lot on there about the movie um, when all this stuff came out. And one of them was like, oh, I've read the Romero script. <clears throat> and we were like, really? He's like, yeah, no, I got a copy of it. And um, and I think he got it from like eBay or something. He bought like an actual bound copy of it. Oh. Um, and, and there was reviews of this exact same script out there. So I started to go, when he started telling me the details, I was kind of like, I think I've heard stuff about this. There was yeah. um, something on Ain't It Cool and a couple other ones on various websites about reviews of Romero's script earlier that had been put out earlier in the year. So obviously someone had been circulating this thing. Um, so basically he, he's like, oh, I can scan it and you can host it or something. So he scans up all the pages for me. And of course it's freaking huge. Yeah, it's like 100, like, 109 pages, something like that. Yeah, and so I there was no way I was going to host it. I mean, as it was, I at this point I think I had just moved hosts and I was kind of leeching off my mate's you know, connection and there was so much bandwidth that we could use and if I upload all these pages, it was on a new blood at the time right you weren't you weren't yeah, yeah I was on I was on new blood and I, at that stage I'd moved from uh, I'd had private hosting through a company you know uh, universe who ended up doing MySpace ah. um, and and they closed down all their sites because it was bleeding money because at this point this is when the internet started to, you know, the internet advertising base had started to yeah. collapse. And so my host was just a friend of mine who I'd made through um, a universe, and he had his own web server and stuff. And New Blood, by far, used up the most amount of bandwidth. It yeah. got a huge amount of visitors, and, <laughs> and so he, he was like, you know, it, it, he, he was happy He was happy with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He was happy with it, but um, he, uh, he, he just, yeah, it was, if I put that online, it probably would kill it. Um, so I thought, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, spend, I'll spend a day or so, um, and I'll you know, transcribe it and just put it into a text document. Oh, and oh man, that way. you transcribed that and whole thing? Yeah, more or less. Um, oh, I think I had to go back and fix a couple of bits later on, but uh, it, it, it's, it's odd because at that time I always had too much time on my hands to, to bother doing this, and I did, I'd <laughs> only done it because uh, the year before, um, when Middle Gear Solid 2 came out, they had a the previous story transcript, and I put that online. I actually spent like about about half a day just writing that because I was waiting for Silent Hill 2 to come <laughs> and I was bored like I said nothing else to do um, so I um, yeah I, I kind of just learned oh I can do this nice and quickly it's not actually too it doesn't take that too long and so I did it and I put it up on there and um, but before I mean I had to I was like maybe I'm going to put this up regardless because it was interesting regardless of yeah. um, of its background but I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll you know, find out if there's any truth behind it so I went at that stage, George Romero had an official website, and um, and basically, um, it was being run by like one of his relatives or something. And the website isn't there anymore, and yeah. it's just a real shame because it was really good. Like anytime there's interviews or anything he wanted to say, he kind of put it up there. And um, so I thought oh, I'll contact him and see if there's any truth to the script. And sure enough, I got a response back. You know, um, basically saying 
um, that it was. It was his, his and awesome. Um, it was. It was a script, and I was just like blown away. I was like, "Oh wow!" So it did actually kind of leak, leak out, you know. So yeah, him and him and um, Peter Grumwald had written the script together and and based it off the you know um, the game itself, the original game, and um, and so yeah, and I said, oh, "Is it cool if I post it?" No, well, we've got no right, you know, hold to it anymore because like, you know, we wrote it with the purpose, and, it, and the purpose is well and truly over. So yeah, it's it's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, and and after after I posted it, they got a bunch of questions on the website, you know, and they actually put up a statement saying, yeah, it's you know, it's the actual script. Um, awesome. And, uh, and and a little bit later, George actually put up a comment, you know, talking about the background of um, a couple of projects that he had around them because he was supposed to do the mummy as well. Oh. Like the, um, and um, he got tied up between two projects and couldn't get ahead with those. And then Resident Evil came up, and that was another issue. And so um, they they, they were, had this busy period of time where he kept missing out on projects. And yeah. I think the only thing he got made that actually got made in him was Bruiser. Um, but he talked about Resident Evil, and he basically said, I, I didn't even know I'd just been let go. Like, they just got me to keep writing drafts, and then eventually I just didn't hear back from them. And of course, at this stage, on- online, you know, um, we kept hearing stories about how he'd been dropped, and there was this infamous, uh, you know, sunglasses on zombies quote, you know. <laughs> he was trying to add all these humorous elements, like, you know, putting sunglasses on zombies. And um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it was apparently Okamoto, so I don't know. I don't oh, know. man. Um, but yeah, there was like, um, you know, there's all these comments made a, a, about how he, they, they didn't like the script and, you know, um, yeah, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. It made, what he said made more sense. They said like that it didn't follow the games enough, which is kind of ironic when you consider what the final product became. Well, I think, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. And I, and I, I think, um... I think it was like it was a like GameSpot, or it, it, which may have been still EGM at that stage. You know, they actually had a development discussion with with um, with some of the staff about what upcoming games. I mentioned the movie, and that's how it came up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is quite funny in that regard. Like it never, well, the way it went with Anderson, it, it, well, it wasn't anything like the games either. Like it's it's kind of odd. But I do remember, like Romero, I think said something on the lines of they didn't know, Constantine didn't know what they had. Or what they wanted out of it, they wanted like a war film or like an aliens-like film, which yeah, yeah. makes sense when you look at the original Resident Evil. It's it's basically Anderson's vision of aliens. Yeah, no you kidding. Know, you've got the core commandos and and the tough chick, and you know, and they're trying to you know find out what's taken over this base, and you know, it's kind of it is very similar in that regard. So yeah. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of, because of all the comments that Ramiro made, actually match kind of what actually happened. I'm kind of more likely to believe the truth is what he's saying rather than what the company or what other people from Capcom had actually said. Yeah, and I, it's good that his script actually leaked out because then fans can decide for themselves, you know, what they think the better movie was, you know, just by the yeah, script. Yeah, t- t- totally. I, I mean, it's um, one of those cases where I think. I mean, I, when people make comments constantly since it was up about the fact that because it matches the the movie so matches the game quite a lot, it can be a lot considered a lot worse because the things that it does differently are far worse. You know, the, the, you've got comparison there. Whereas, yeah, you know, yeah. When you when you've got Anderson separation, you can kind of go, oh, well, it's completely different. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. That's why I don't. I I I really I really think it. It would have been interesting to see it made, yeah. but whether or not it was any better or any worse, I really couldn't comment. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd read through it, and you know, it seemed it seemed okay. I mean, it mostly followed the, the plot of the games, but there's some you know key differences, like you know, Chris isn't in stars, and you know, he's certain, Native American. Well, he's he's half Mohawk <laughs> Indian or quarter Mohawk, yeah, something yeah, like he, that. And he works on a farm, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and it, he lives right near the Arclay Mansion, so it's kind of like, eh. I kind of, I kind of like that. Was actually an element I didn't mind so much. I was kind of like, I like the fact that it was kind of trying to pull in this connection that there was people in this area that lived near the mountains and they're going to be affected by this. Yeah. More so than than just the hikers kind of aspect that uh-huh. the game has in itself. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> the, 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 the changes, the changes that are there. Yeah, but a hit and miss. Like the fact that Chris, you know, he as a kid he went in there, because the Arclay Mansion was built by this bootlegger, something Arclay his name was, and I guess once the once he died, the federal government took it over and made it a safe house, and then you know, working with the government umbrella made it into a laboratory, and before it, before it got converted into a laboratory, Chris would, you know, go around with his friends and go in the crawl spaces and everything. I guess there's all these secret passageways inside there that Chris all knows about, so that's how they basically get out of the place, but... <laughs> yeah, it was kind of trying to add a rather than a, a, an element of exploration. <clears throat> excuse me, and not understanding where they need to go, they always had that you know, almost like an inside man kind of knowing yeah. where he was going to go, um, just to give a direction. But it, at the same time, obviously, the when you, when you read through it, it's kind of like the place is like a maze still, and um, <laughs> yeah, in the, in the setup. I mean, I, I funnily enough, um, just this week, some someone linked me to a. Um, it was like Total Film or something. The five five spec scripts that should have been actual movies, and and the Resident Evil script was one of them. And um, you know, they pointed out some of the bits that they would have liked to have seen, um, and, oh. and some of the things that did, that they thought it did better than than um, than the actual final movie. But yeah, yeah. Four hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal, sealed the hive, and tried to kill everyone within it. When we realized what was happening, White Queen was brought online to try and control her sister. White Queen? An identical computer based at Tenrad. The two of them fought it out. An electronic battle royale. After 2.7 seconds, it was over. Red Queen was disabled and we were dispatched to finish her off. Why did she do it? We don't know. So you just heard us talk a bit about Anderson's early script, the September 29th, 2000 version, which Rob got online in an and then the Romero script, but I'd just like to run through some of the key differences. Like, I, I read the script, I read both of them, and uh, just jotted down some things that I noticed that were different from the original, from the final production. Like, the initial outbreak, you know how Spence throws the uh, the vial and it breaks and it goes in the vents? Well, in the early script, it, it has it where he's doing all this stuff by hand, you know. He, he doesn't have the aid of the machine that's putting them all in the uh, canisters for him. But what happens is... Uh, it, it's an accident, actually. The, the, the tube slips from his hand and it breaks, so he just runs out of there. You know, he didn't mean for it to be uh, to kill everybody and everything, which I found kind of interesting. That would sort of really dramatically change his character, you know? He's not this guy who doesn't really care to murder hundreds of people, you know? No, no, you're, you're right. I mean, it does change his character entirely because, I mean, obviously in the finished film, he, he just casually throws, you know, the virus away from him just as he exits through the door why, and, why would and he, he clearly does it with a motivation to as a cover for his escape yeah and it's... he knocks over that man's coffee which i thought was pretty bastardly of him <laughs> well he was checking <laughs> he was checking the time he had to make sure 
But um, then there's also another one where like uh, Lisa, Matt's Matt's sister, uh, had already went to the pickup spot where she was supposed to meet her contact, but no one was there. They sort of have a phone call a bit before this, you know, where she says, you know, don't worry, it's just a fire drill. She's actually talking to Matt there, and she's. They just sort of expand on that, and like Matt was going to meet her, Lisa in front of the maze in, in the mansion, like you know, to catch up with to see what her reports were so far. But yes, yeah, she, she went to the pickup point where Alice was supposed to be, but no one was there. So and it, it gives motivation for Matt being there when Alice wakes up. Yeah, and that's why he's at the mansion exactly, um, which is never explained properly in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's just there. Uh, another point is Alice wakes up in her bed, not in her shower, knocked out. Uh, another one, Alice follows shadows in the mansion. She actually, like, you know in the first beginning where she just walks outside the door and then walks back in and Matt's there with her? She was attacked by leaves, wasn't she? No. Well, she actually walks outside and there's a maze out in the the mansion and she sort of follows it down and, like, she she walks to the center of the maze and there's a man sitting in a, uh, a chair there and she tries to talk to him. But when she goes to touch him, it's just a statue and that's when Matt comes and, like, you know, says, freeze, you know, I'm a cop, what are you doing here? And, like, he pats her down and then interrogates her as they head back towards the mansion. And, uh, then, it's then when they see that there's, like, a helicopter coming in on the lawn. So they try to get away from them, but, of course, they get caught. And, like, the the points I'm not going over, it's all pretty much the same in, in the, in this script. So just sort of, like, fill in the blanks here. Just, the script sort of just expands on things a bit and sort of changes a few things around. Uh, the sanitation team introduces themselves a bit more, so they you f- they flesh the characters out a bit more, uh, and then you find out through the uh, fingerprints that Matt is an eco terrorist, as they as they call him. You know, like how in the movie he was said like if they fingerprinted him or if they looked deeper into his identity, they would have found that red flags would go off that he was NSA or you know whatever the hell. Well, that mm-hmm. actually happens in this version of the script. They find out that that's why they cuff him and everything, you know, take him with them because they don't know if he's going to have friends with him. Uh, and actually, that's another thing. Matt's much more of like an unlikable character in this sort of like the very beginning part. Alice sort of distrusts him and he's trying to get her on him on his side. And like even at one point, I guess J.D. hands them a MRE and like he sees that it's meat. and He's like, I can't eat this. <laughs> it's like. Ugh. And then, and like JD, JD and him constantly get into fights and everything. So, but uh, another thing, the entrance to the hive is in the floor, which sort of like sinks down on a platform. So, uh, and they they find Spence downstairs, or when they get to the bottom of the platform, they find him on there. There's no train in this; it's just like a platform that takes them down and right to that first area with all the columns. Hmm. And, like, uh, they find Spence there, knocked out. Uh, the platform, like, down in the platform, though, it's like a natural cave with man-made structures all around it to sort of support it up and everything. Uh, Alice and Spence rotate shifts at the house with each other. They're, uh, they're, of course, a fake couple, but they, I guess one cracks open one of the storage crates down there and shows them that there's all these other pictures of couples, you know, fake couples, who they rotate shifts with. You know, to to guard the, uh, the the labs and everything. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't see why it's redundant, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it sort of does. I guess that's why it got cut. But um, there's an interesting thing here where they mentioned the White Queen. Uh, 
you know, Alice kind of says, you know, what the hell's going on here? And when one gives that explanation, he sort of expands on it a little bit more and says that uh, the once the Red Queen went homicidal and everything, the White Queen, which is held at a location called Ten Rad, it was brought online to disable the Red Queen. And then he gives this really stupid, like, he says, there was a there was a cyber battle between the two of them that lasted 2.7 seconds, and Red was disabled. You know, so it, it kind of gives a, a reason why Red Queen was sort of shut down before they actually went into the place that the White Queen was brought online to sort of turn it turn it off. Uh, uh, it's ma- stupid. <laughs> I know, the cyber battle. I'm glad they cut that part, because that was just really... It was a cyber battle. It's like, you know, kids in, kids in the 21st century love this kind of stuff. So this missile breaks open, and it's tons of little missiles. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the war between... The, this was all in the cyber war, you know, with, cyber- like, Terminators and missiles that break apart. Okay, but... Try harder. But moving on... Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but moving on, Matt and Alice hear uh, groaning from the air vents. So that's why Matt's looking at the vents. It's not because he thinks that the T-virus is coming in. It's like you can hear a faint groaning coming from them. Okay, the next part. You know the dining hall B that they mentioned, which is actually the liquor room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that whole place is different. I guess they changed this because of budget, but originally he had it where everything was plexiglass tubes where you can see all the, like, terrible experiments and the liquor was one of them but there was a lot different diverse enemies in there everything uh and actually the the medic you mentioned earlier gene the one who gets her her head cut off yeah yeah that was actually a man so yeah and in fact michelle rodriguez character it it's also a man in this there's no women agents Uh, she's close enough there's no women agents but uh Another thing is, like, the laser lights, you know how they're sort of turquoise, bluish green in this? Well, they're they're red in the script. Uh, Kaplan, who is referred to in the script as 12, you know, so I guess they sort of just went with the commando names of 1, 2, 3, you know, whatever. Uh, Kaplan's name mentions that his name is, I guess he's Asian, but his name is Isayab Tagawa. Merc- well, he's Mercurio. a technician. Of course, he's going to be Asian. Yeah, I... Mer- they love that kind of stuff. So Chinese it's... people, you know, typing away at computers, <laughs> wires in the brain. Okay, so the, there's P- another. That's POA intelligence. That is. All right, getting on with it though. There's a the team fires a uranium-tipped shell from a rocket launcher into the console of the Red Queen instead of just shutting it down via magnetic lock or whatever the hell they did. <laughs> so they should they yeah they they fire a uranium tipped shell and like the red queen sort of has a back and forth with what the hell should I call I guess I'll call him twelve but it's actually uh, Kaplan so I'll just say Kaplan they uh, they sort of have a back and forth where she mentions that he'll never disable disable her and he's like uranium tipped shell have a bitch cyber battle. no <laughs> but close enough anyway uh, but, uh, just just a normal shell wouldn't cut it it has to be uranium tipped. Yeah. <laughs> has to be uranium. Yeah, but they fire and the, and this they fu- into the room and then shut it down. It's like, great. How are we going to go in there, though? Because it's contaminated. Well, well, I don't know. Well, they focus yeah. on this, too, because they're like, you know, uranium, ten times heavier than whatever the hell, you know? But anyway, uh, Kaplan gets... When they get back to the uh, dining hall B uh, and meet back up with... You know, they have the zombie battle there. Uh, Kaplan actually gets bit multiple times by zombies there. Uh... 
Spence actually saves Alice from the axe zombie, which is about to bite her as she's having a flashback, and, you know, he he kills the guy with his own axe. Uh, Rain, who is a man in this, is killed by the zombies rather than J.D. So, you know, when J.D. gets pulled off by all the zombies and he gets... and Rain gets bit on the hand, well, they just swap those two characters around. Uh, Alice jumps into a dog cage to escape the zombie dogs and shouts... Oh, and she shoots the keeper in the head. Also, instead of just kicking him around. Uh, the Red Queen mentions that the T3... Th- there's code names for the virus, so T3 is the virus and T4 is the antivirus. Um, and she mentions that you only become the undead upon death, so you can basically live forever with the virus in your body, and the moment you die, you'll be reanimated. So, it doesn't seem so threatening, you know, in this. Mm-hmm. Um... And yeah, that's another thing. Uh, they take the Red Queen with her. She's like in a portable hologram thing that they take with her, and like she sort of yeah. becomes, she sort of becomes the comic relief for the team. And it's kind of weird, but uh, so it's like Holly in Red Dwarf, this little watch you wear, and it's got her face on it. It's like, and that's actually that's actually what they use for the map. Then, like the Red Queen's feeding them information about the map and everything. And the, and while they're viewing the map, the team finds another heat signature, but they can't really help him because it's too far away from them. So the, they they see another survivor, or that's what it's said. It's implied it is, but it's really not. I'll get to, I'll get to that in a minute. Was this survivor ever identified? Yeah, I'll get I'll get on with that. It it is identified, but um, as they're you know they're traveling the, through the uh, the sewer area, like with yeah. with all the grading of sewer and everything, the steam and all that. Uh, Spence actually finds a golf cart there, sort of an homage to uh, Day of the Dead, you know, when Cap... Roads, you bastard! Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they they ride it through the tunnels, and Spence is sort of, you know, having a uh, a fun time with it and everything, and that's sort of where they realize that the Red Queen's memory is getting corrupted from the cyber battle with the White Queen. Uh, like, she, her, her files are corrupting, so part of the map is disappearing. They notice that. Uh, and they also notice that the stranger, the heat signature, is heading to the surface. So, uh, and then of course, all hell breaks loose when Spence takes a turn too fast and the golf cart crashes into a bunch of zombies. Uh, hang on. This is fun listening to this. Is, uh, you know, I, imagine is it? I know, really. I'm having a good time here. Okay, good. <laughs> like, I'm glad. Time. I'm glad because this means all my work was for not for nothing. Uh, you do it in your old man voice, John. Yeah, they follow Kaplan's struggle as he uses his laptop to stop spinning fan blades. Yeah, this is foreign fun. <laughs> but no. I love it. It follows Kaplan's struggle as he uses his laptop to stop spinning. Okay, well, I'll get along with it here. But then there's, you know how Kaplan goes to kill himself and then kills that zombie? Well, yeah. he actually... Um, the, the camera kind of follows him, his struggle as he gets up. So as he's getting into through that pipe, you know, after he throws his gun away, uh, a, the female zombie, or one of the zombies that was in that room where the guy's like, oh, fuck the doors, you know, because we've seen the axe guy, he's gotten killed, and then the other guy got shot in the face by Kaplan there, but then the third guy who was in that room with him is sort of following him up the pipes. And at, at that time, Kaplan's legs aren't really working, so he's sort of dragging himself with the zombie behind him. And he he sort of comes to a dead end where a fan is like you know, 
blocking his path that's moving. So he uses his laptop to stop the spinning fan blades. Um, you know, that's when he knows the zombie is following him, so he gets through it quickly. And, uh, you know, as he's through, he the zombie's coming through as well, So like, it, but it dislodges the, the, the laptop and it gets cut in half. And he's like, yes! But then he sees that it's still coming after him after it looks at it looks it the zombie sort of looks back at its legs and then like looks back at him and just starts following him uh and it's still coming for him, so he whips out a grenade and throws it down at him down at it and uh it it sees that there's sort of Kaplan's blood is still on it, so it sort of puts it in its mouth and it's like, oh no, <laughs> right so then they it explodes you know kills it, but then he's thrown down a shaft from the blast, so he's put back down a bit further into the hive uh, and that's where it cuts off on him but um, then like they're uh, shown a bit more that the Red Queen is losing her power and her memory so she's sort of like uh, guiding them through the places and she's sort of giving the wrong direction so she's like left and she's like no wait wait right. Computer senility then Yes and uh, so anyway um once they're there, you know how, like, Alice says, you know, oh, wait, we should get the antivirus. You know, green for the virus, blue for the antivirus. Well, in this version, Matt actually wants a sample of the virus so he could expose Umbrella. You know, because cause apparently, like, in the beginning, he's, like, an eco-terrorist, so he's gone to, like, on missions against oil tank, like, whale or whaling vessels and all that stuff what like that. Asshole. Yeah, so he's, like, one of those assholes, and he's, like, a really not likable guy. But, um, but that at least makes more sense than her just having this revelation out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. But anyway... um, He's not a likable person because, you know, we're all right-wing bastards on here. So once Spence regains his memory, he mentions that he didn't mean to break the vial and all that. You know, it was all a mistake. But he's still sort of painted as the asshole because, you know, she won't go with him. Because he, he, he wants to sell the virus for money and everything. But um, And then it, it, they find out that you know, they say, oh, you know, he's going to get away. And she's like, no, I've been a very bad girl. And they find out that the stranger heat signature that they found was actually the liquor that was following them. So so the liquor the liquor kills him, but it doesn't mutate. So, you know, feeding on fresh DNA. Uh, that does, none of that happens. Uh, and the Red Queen doesn't demand uh, JD's death, but at this moment it's rain. So, or, you know, it's rain in the in the final cut, but here it's JD because Rain was killed. Right. And, uh, the liquor chases them as the Red Queen increasingly, who is, who becomes increasingly unreliable, leads them to a back exit, and she sort of leads them to a, to a, a dead-end room, and, you know, you sort of think that she's been leading them all along to their death all this time. But, uh, actually, like, there's a secret panel door, and they try to use the code, but they can't they can't, uh, they only have one, sh- well, I guess they don't know the code, so they just give it a try, and, like, then the panel shuts, and it says access denied, and it shuts the door off, and they're all like, that's not even fair! Only one shot! You know, because the, the, at this moment, the Red Queen died fully, so, like, her power went out. Uh, but luckily, uh, Kaplan opens the door from the other side and saves them, so, how he knew they were there, I don't know. Then, like, then it gets kind of weird, because the survivors fight the liquor on the elevator. So, like, it's... I guess they're going up on the thing, on the elevator, and the liquor comes, and, uh, you know, it's before it's fully up past the uh, the ceiling, I guess it, like, latches its tongue out at them and everything, but Alice manages to 
sever its tongue. But she like holds it in place there while it's still going up, and then like it cuts the tongue off as it reaches past the platform. Oh. So then, like the but it comes back later on because it it starts ripping up the floor grating coming after them. So like Alice says, you know, use the emergency ladders. So they all start climbing up the ladders to get away from it. But um, Alice stays behind to send the platform down in a free fall to kill it. And, uh, but as she does that, she jumps back onto the ladder, so does the liquor, so it jumps on her back, basically, and it's clawing her real bad. Uh, Matt is up there, uh, with JD, and, like, uh, but JD just turned into a zombie, so, from blood loss, because he died real quick and turned into a zombie. So Matt's struggling with JD, just sort of like he did with Rain. Uh, but Alice... Alice manages to grab the antivirus and the virus that she was holding in her pockets, I guess. But she throws them into the the liquor's mouth, and it causes it all to bubble and crack. Like So, like, the liquor's all in pain. It's not focusing on getting her anymore, but it's still hanging on to her. Uh, JD falls to his death. Uh, I can't really recall how that happens. I think, oh yeah, Matt's struggling with him, and, like, he sort of struggles enough so that JD falls down the pit. Uh, but as he's falling, his gun falls out of his holster, and Alice catches the gun and shoots the liquor back down the hole. So, Convenient. Yeah. Uh, so, at this, po- at this point, we have 12, who is, you know, Kaplan. Uh, he survives with Matt and Alice. So, it's those three now, because JD just turned into a zombie and fell down the pit. But... Like down the pit, you see the liquor get impaled by this wooden board because the the uh, the platform sort of broke everything down there, and it just gets impaled and then bursts into guts. Hmm. Uh, so then Alice opens the front doors to find a viral perimeter, sort of like the the first movie, and um, you know they sort of say, "All right, come with us." They, you know, it's not a struggle or anything. They just sort of. Get her abo- they get her aboard the helicopter that uh, one in them originally went down in. So, uh, she asks where Matt is, and the team replies that, you know, he's safe, don't worry, you're all safe. So then 12, who is uh, Kaplan, is loaded onto a gurney. He's about to go on the helicopter, but he dies, and the chief medical officer, you know, he doesn't want the- him to die, so he takes off his suit and, you know... One of the guys is like, don't do that, you're breaking protocol. And he's like, I don't, this man's not going to die on my watch. So he starts giving him mouth-to-mouth. But as he's doing that 12, you know, Kaplan, he becomes undead and lunges at him. So then, like, I guess Alice and them didn't really see this. But then it sort of, like, cuts to a different time period. Alice is being kept in a white cell, sort of like a deprivation chamber. And every so often they buzz her with alarms and they ask her, you know, what happened in the hive? Uh... And there's, like, a couple... You could see through the glass that there's a couple people. Like, when they put the light on, you could see that there's, like, people in suits. Influential people, I guess the script says. Mm-hmm. You could see, like, rings and stuff like that. But, uh... Spencer. So, like, the final time they ask... She refuses to answer any questions. You know, where's Matt? Where's... You know, I'm not telling you anything. And then the final time, the investigators aren't anywhere to be seen. But you do see, like, a shuffling moaning man in the background and she's sort of like oh shit but just as that happens Matt opens her door or her her door opens and she goes to it and she finds Matt out there 
You know, he says, I was in the cell next door, I just broke free. Then, like, all of a sudden, a holographic representation of the White Queen appears in front of them, and it says, you know, it sort of apologizes about killing the Red Queen. It didn't know what her intentions were, you know, because to trap all the people down there. So then White explains that the infection spread to cover the U.S. in 13 days, Canada and South America in 27, and the world in less than two months. And that's, that's sort of a quote from the Red Queen verbatim, because she mentions that when they're arguing that they should just be able to be let out of the hive, even though they're infected. So mm. she, she mentions that, and then like uh, Matt and Alice begin to hear approaching gunfire, and the White Queen tells them they better leave. It's not safe here, so they do. And then it, the, the script sort of flashes to white, and it's six months later from the hive. Matt and Alice are in an RV with lots of guns and everything. It's sort of like a, like a sort of like what you'd see in Extinction, because they sort of like outfitted it properly for the apocalypse. Yeah. And uh, you know they're driving by a graveyard, and it shows that all the graves have been dug up, you know, from the inside. So like the whole world is basically gone to hell. Uh, yeah, but the RV is like fitted for battle, and then at the opening, like at the ending scene, that they're driving to Manhattan, which looks all destroyed. And she says, "You know, do you think we'll find any people alive there?" And he says, "I don't know." And then it just sort of cuts out there. So yeah, that's that's about it for that script. Like the differences. Would... If there had been a zombie outbreak, the worst place to go would be a major population center. Yeah, you would think, you know. But I guess maybe they just got so tired because it was six months after the the hive incident, so they were sort of probably looking around for survivors. They wanted to see if maybe. But yeah, that's. Anderson was the scriptwriter on Extinction. I, I don't know. Yeah, he, he wrote. He wrote. He did write all three. He wrote yeah, all three. So maybe they resurrected that idea. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, whew, let me take a break because my voice is kind of like. <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that I didn't fun. have to read that cross. <laughs> was it interesting though, hearing that? Yeah, that yeah. actually was. Some uh, of it sounds better than Yeah. The final doesn't stuff. it? Like they expanded a lot more on certain things, which I thought they sorely needed to do. It was like character development, like them introducing themselves to Alice and like J J D and Rain sort of played off each other on that part and it was like, yeah, why didn't they include that? Because that was really absent from the final film. Yeah. So, so from the cyber battle, um, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> cyber there's battle between the Red Queen and the White Queen. I should find the quote for that because let me look it up. I have the documents here. I'll, I'll read. I'll read the quote. Battle. Aside from the cyber battle, every, everything else that was that that was in there was all yeah major character development and you know gave more motivation for everything that happened. I'm not sure about the end though. When was that script uh, okay. written? Here we go. It says, here's one. An identical computer based at Tenrad. The two of them fought it out. An electronic battle royale. After 2.7 seconds, it was over. Red Queen was disabled, and we were dispatched to finish her off. <laughs> electronic battle royale. Electronic <laughs> battle royale. 2.7 seconds. <laughs> but, yeah. That's... But what you... Is that written? 2000? Uh, September 29th, 2000. Well, that's that's the date Rob speculates, because he says... Because... Yeah, you go ahead. Big casting call. 
the casting call was put out with that date attached to it for the script, and it matches nice. that script, so... Yeah. Oh, okay, because the only other... I'm just thinking the Alice in Wonderland stuff's still in there. Mm. Yeah, there is... I, I think I made a note at the top. There is more references to Alice in Wonderland in there, in the script. There could, uh, there could have been, I don't... But actually, it actually spe- specifically makes a couple of comments about it. Mm. The only the only one in the actual games is the uh, Bandersnatch. What's that? Is that related to that? The the name band the Bandersnatch is a creature from it's mentioned in Through the Looking Glass. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And there's it's never pictured or seen, but it's the only adjective that describes it is frumious, which <laughs> is a cross between fuming and furious. <laughs> uh, I think that, there's a Sorry, I was going to say, I think there's a couple in Code Veronica. Not just that one. There might be another one. I don't know. That was the only one I know. But they're, yeah, they've, they've turned to that the, the sort of Lewis Carroll canon a few times. <laughs> We're close. I think you'll be able to get the package. It's been interesting. Anything you can't handle? There's nothing I can't handle. Good. Keep us appraised. I'm reassured, gentlemen, that everything is under control. So I guess we'll do the Romero script next. Um, I sort of read through this just like a a couple hours ago. I sort of did it kind of fast, but I took a lot of notes. Uh, I hope I can sort of form this into a cohesive and, you know, coherent story. But uh, I'll give it a shot. So the movie opens up with like this uh, this board of directors. It says like influential people. You can see that they have gold rings and stuff on the on their hands, and like a, there's a military presence in the room. And uh, they're viewing a videotape of a zombie attack, and and it's revealed that it's a zombie attack on Dr. John Marcus uh, and other researchers. So he, you know, John Marcus is saying, you know, don't don't enter the room. It's a sealed room, and you know something comes in the room with him, and it starts attacking the cameraman. But, um, and then, like, the, the guy who's, uh, showing this, you know, they're all in shadow, and he's just sort of, he points a, points a laser beam at the zombie, he says, here, this here, and then it shows, like, the, the, the video advancing, and, like, the zombie attacks the cameraman, and that's where it stops, and it's, that's where the credits come up, Resident Evil, you know? Hmm. So, um, then it opens up with a shot of the Arclay Forest, and Chris is there. He's feeding eagles with fish. So like he's setting them high up on a on a hill and he's fe- and he, he he's cataloging them as they come in cuz I guess he does this every autumn as he says later. Like he he'll put, he'll put a fish up on a high rock and then watch as it swoops in and catalog which one is doing it. And, you know, he he keeps doing this and then and like the uh the, for the second one, he puts it up and you know, he sees that this bird named Cleopatra that he named, you know, it's coming in to, to go to eat it, but it it's sort of uh hesitates and it circles around again and goes for it but it, then it like rap, it shrieks and then w- goes away real quick so he's looking at the bird as it's flying off and then all of a sudden you know it says you hear an inhuman scream and Chris looks back and the fish is gone so then it sort of cuts back to uh, Chris going to Jill's apartment uh, and apparently they're lovers so they sort of have a quick discussion and it's revealed then that Chris is part Mohawk Indian so, so it's like, wait, what? 
But, <laughs> yeah, right. but anyway, like, uh, yeah, Chris isn't in Stars, but Jill is, as we'll find out in a minute or two. But, yeah, he goes back to Jill's apartment. They sort of make love, and then then uh, it sort of cuts to a shot of a farmer. And, like, this is on a farm, and he's getting these horses out, and, uh, you know, with a flashlight, because it's still early dawn. And, uh, he's you know, he's sort of pushing them out to get in the corral and everything. But then, like, uh, we see a camera shot from far away, like in the field, looking at where the farmer is with the flashlight, and it's just sort of really quickly gaining on him, and we don't know what it is. It's obviously not a zombie because it's going too quick. But the farmer is presumably killed at that point, and it it cuts away. And then it cuts away to an airbase, and uh, it's Wesker. We don't find that out until a little bit later, but he's sort of scrambling a team, uh, and he's talking to uh, like a, a high up guy saying, you know, all right, I want you guys to go in. But he says, don't worry, I've already dispatched. He says uh, he's dispatched uh, a local unit to the uh, to the to the site before they get there. Because I guess Wesker has a little bit of traveling to do to get there. And they reveal that it's in the Pennsylvania backwoods. So very similar to Anderson's movie Apocalypse, I guess, because on the weather map there, they're showing that it's in the Pocono Mountains, which is a little bit further from here. But, it's right uh, in your backyard. Yeah, it is. But um, I guess, yeah, they were mentioning that Wesker sort of activated Jill. So she opens up a secret panel in her closet as Chris is sleeping. But the as she's leaving, you know, she, she gets all geared up and everything in her star's uniform. But as she's leaving, Chris sort of wakes up from the door shutting. And he runs over to the, to the window and he sees her getting in a Humvee. Uh, there's three other guys there. Russo is the driver, and then Williams and Dismone. Dismone? I don't know. Whatever. But they're heading to the Arclay Forest. Uh, so Jill's team uh, gets to the forest, and they're attacked by zombie dogs. Uh, there's the, the helicopter pilot that is with Wesker is called LaGuardia. Isn't that a airport? Yeah, LaGuardia Airport yeah. Base, or something like that. But uh, the pilot's name is LaGuardia, and you know, he's sort of taking... So he's there with Barry and Wesker, actually. So Barry and Wesker are in the same chopper. Barry's actually black in this. Black and muscular, so... Um, so they arrive at the town, Wesker's team, and Wesker calls for Raccoon City to be evacuated. So some of the men there in the choppers, because I guess they were going with six other choppers, they landed and they all start evacuating the uh, the team, or the, the town. And uh, the the reason they're saying is, you know, a military plane has crashed in the hills with live weapons, so we need to get everybody out of here. And uh, Chris actually comes down out onto the street and is actually confronted by two of the commandos, and they say, come on, let's go. And he sort of tries to resist, but they catch him and drag him back out to the front center. Uh, there's a sheriff that runs out to the guy on the blowhorn who's telling her, or the, the bullhorn, I guess, is they give him that nickname. Like, he runs out to, uh, the, a sheriff runs out to him and says, you know, I'm the sheriff, I'm in charge here, what are you guys doing here? And they sort of get into an increasingly uh, hostile situation where the guy's about to haul off and hit the sheriff, but Chris, uh, like, kicks him in the balls and <laughs> and runs away to his car, and, you know, he gets up to the Arclay Mountains because he knows something's going on up there. So Chris runs to the to his farm, so it's actually Chris's farm that where we've seen the guy getting killed or attacked. Uh, he finds that the horses are all dead and the farmer is dying. The fa- farmer's name is actually Rake. And I guess <laughs> he was like a friend of Chris's father and like he was looking after the place while Chris was in town with Jill. 
but um, as he's tending to rake, he sees Wesker's chopper descending in the forest ahead, and like the two of them speculate that the only place they could be going is the old Arclay place, which I guess Chris sort of played around in as a kid, because... Well, I'll mention I'll mention that in a bit because he he explains it a bit later. But Chris sort of leaves to the house to get, you know, medical care for Rake, but uh, it's too late because he dies and he's sort of re reanimated. But um, Wesker Wesker lands. Uh, Chris Chris follow his follows him in the in the woods, and uh, it's twelve commandos with him. Uh, Barry and Wesker are part are. Uh, you know, two of the main characters that are introduced so far. None of them are really talked about besides Barry and Wesker. There's a couple others like Kenneth and all them, but they, we don't see them till a bit later. But uh, they're classified as Alpha Team, the team coming in right now. Bravo Team is Jill's team, as we find out, which was only four people. Yeah, four people, including Jill. So Alpha finds Jill's... They find the Bravo Team's uh, the site where they got attacked by the by the dogs. And there's, like, human body parts all around. And uh, Brad Vickers, who's a computer tech, vomits because he's not a soldier. So he sees all these, like, body parts. He throws up. And Rebecca Chambers is there. She's a medical officer. She's also a non-combatant. So then they sort of introduce Richard Richard Aiken and Kenneth Kenneth Sullivan. You know, and they sort of say that they're too... they're friendly, and like Richard and Kenneth sort of have this back and forth where Richard keeps making light of the situation and Kenneth gets pissed off at him. Or maybe it's the other way around. I'm not really sure. But that's irrelevant. There's also another commando there, Rosie Rodriguez. She's a woman, oh, a well-built woman. Uh, and there's also Forrest Spires. So Forrest finds Jill's beret. It's all bloodied, and, you know, Wesker declares that uh, Bravo team's been killed. So Chris sees this, and he's all pissed, you know, that, that she's dead and everything. So, so uh... Chris goes over to check the beret, and, you know, he puts it in his pocket, and then all of a sudden, you know, Chris gets attacked by a a zombie wolf, and, like, uh, Alpha Team hears the shooting, and they they sort of go to turn around, but then all of a sudden, they're attacked as well. So, like, Rosie mentions, you know, let's get the hell out of here, but Wesker's like, no, we gotta stay here, we gotta kill every one of them. So they all eventually kill all the zombie dogs, even though their backs are at the gates of the Arclay Mansion at this point. Uh, Joseph gets killed here. He gets his art. His heart actually gets eaten through his back. So, not not a good end for him. Uh, Wesker shoots Joseph to death in the head and the dog. But uh, he's attacked. Wesker's about to get killed, but Barry saves him. So Wesker says uh, for Barry, you know, I'll pay. I'll pay you back because because I guess Wesker and Barry know each other for quite a while in this and like. Uh, Wesker had uh, saved Barry in Desert Storm. And, yeah, he saved him in Desert Storm, and then Barry's like, you know, we're even. And he's like, I don't believe in being even. I always want to be one ahead, so before this day's over, you know, I'll pay you back. So Wesker just tells Barry to stick to him during this operation. So Chris picks up... So it cuts back to Chris, and he's picking up the wolf collar, and it says Spike number 26 with the umbrella logo on it. So Chris gets attacked again, though, with another zombie dog, and he's out of ammo. Like, he had a Winchester rifle. He's out of ammo. He doesn't have time to reload it. So he runs, and all of a sudden, like, he finds this fake tree root, and he opens it up and, like, goes in the hatch. 
into a hatch. So it's like, wait, what? So I guess, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, it's explained a bit later that he played around in this area as a kid. But, yeah, like at that point, it's like, wait, what? Anyway, um, Alpha Team enters the mansion gates. Wesker has this green key card that he uses to access everything. So he opens the gates and then opens the front doors with it. Uh, he explains to the team that, you know, it's it was made by... Uh, this guy, I don't know if they mentioned the first name, but his name is his last name is Arclay, and uh, he was a bootlegger who built the mansion to hide out from the feds. But eventually, like the feds found it after his death, and they made it into a safe house for people. And I guess like they worked with the government to, to uh, sort of make it into a secret installation. Umbrella worked with the government to make it a secret installation, like where they do all the uh, research. And uh, Wesker says that the target is John Marcus. They need him alive above anything, above all else. So, so then it, it sort of reveals that Jill is still alive, and she's in the labs, kind of. So she, I guess she ran to the mansion and has found a way in. God knows how, but uh, she ki- she yeah. she kills a lab zombie, you know, with a lab coat. And um, so Wesker's team hears the gunshots from her, and so he leaves Richard, Kenneth, and Rebecca in the main hall to stick to stay back. Uh, then meanwhile we cut back to Chris who's crawling through like a uh, like a, a shaft and he finds a door which leads to a library and just at that moment like Wesker's team enters the library and there's still the, the, there's still a couple rooms to explore so they leave this one member uh, a rookie called Ridley to stay in the library and guard the area he just says kill anything on sight so the others keep going on to find the source of the gunshots so all of a sudden, like Ridley starts hearing this knocking on the on the on the wall, or like knocking on a door, like sort of like trying to jam it open. But he doesn't know where it's coming from because it's not coming from the two doors. So like he starts investigating a bit more, and he finds this hidden panel. And as he does, like it's it, we it, we cut back to Chris where he's fighting with a zombie in there. Actually, like one of the zombies crawled up out of the, one of the uh, ducts or whatever the hell. No, it was a it was a trench like down below. And it came up after Chris. So, like, just as Ridley opens the door, uh, Chris and the zombie fall out. Uh, Ridley is actually... A, I think Ridley shoots the zombie and, like, saves Chris, but then they sort of have a, like, who the hell are you, you know? And uh, But Ridley gets killed by a zombie from behind. He gets bit, like, sort of on the area between your neck, like, right on your jugular vein. Mm-hmm. So he dies relatively quickly. Um but the, Wesker's men hear the gunshots, so they return to the library. And at this time, you know, Chris runs back runs back to the main hall, and Rebecca sees him, and she's sort of like, wait, who are you? And he's like, wait, I'm a good guy, and she you know, yells for the two other guys who are with her to come get him, and Chris goes into yet another secret panel in the wall in the main hall. So at this point, uh, <laughs> while I was reading this, I was like, what the fuck? You know, it's like Chris, Chris knows all these, like, places. But anyway, um, back in the uh, library, vines are starting to come like out of the walls for Ridley's body, and like the others don't really notice this because it's like this really low crunching sound. But Chris opens up another secret entrance from uh, his childhood, and he explains that you know, like in his head, I guess that he remembers going through these places as as a child. But anyway, he sort of drops down into a a drop ceiling, but. Like, he's, he mentions that, you know, wow, this wasn't like this when I was a child. They must have renovated up here. But um, all of a sudden, like, Wesker's team notices that the vines are starting to come for his body, so they 
shoot at them and they and they go back into the the wall, right? So they sink back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as Wesker's like still investigating the area where they first heard the gunshots from, all of a sudden Jill comes out of the shadows and like holds a gun to Wesker's head and you know he's, she's really mad that like he let her team die because he didn't accurate like prepare them enough for what they would be facing. But eventually he diffuses the situation and uh, he takes her back to the library where he explains the truth about the mansion, you know, the T-virus and all that stuff. He basically says that, you know, he he basically spills his guts right there that, you know, they're in deep shit. So, like, as he's explaining this, we don't see, but, like, Zombie Ridley, who is now a zombie, starts getting up and is just about to attack Rebecca and Wesker just fires a bullet right at her, seemingly, but it hits Ridley in the head, so he falls back down. And Rebecca kind of freaks out because she's a medical technician. She was just checking him. She's like, no, he was dead. But he's like, no, that's what happens. So so then um, it cuts back to Chris, who's still above the drop ceiling, sort of looking down into, like, a lab area. There's, like, all these animals on the on the sides, and they're sort of, like, zombified, so they're sort of, like, not normal. And he sees a, a researcher sort of writing on a pad, on a notepad, sitting down, and he's sort of like, hey, hey! And when it looks around, you can see that it has, like, no face, so it's a zombie. And, like, it was just scribbling nothingness on the pad, just sort of, like, following its motions, what it would do if this uh. were a Romero movie. Sort of like how they go to the la- the mall and everything. Like, yeah. the, the last thing they remembered. Anyway, um, so at that moment, Alpha Team comes into the uh, lab there, and they see the zombie, so they kill it. But uh, they don't see another zombie that's crawling behind the door going for Forrest so Chris yells down hey look out and he I guess he throws I don't know he shoots the uh, the zombie in the head but Brad freaks out and thinks they're being attacked so he starts shooting the ceiling apart and like the uh, casings that they're holding up start to fall so Chris falls into this huge aquarium right off in the other room and there's six zombie sharks in there so he <laughs> so he so he tries to shoot one of them but like you know, they can't shoot underwater because the bullet doesn't travel fast enough. It just sort of pierces the skin lightly. So then he sort of, like, fights it off a bit, and then he tries to shoot the glass, but he's aiming right at Jill, who's sort of looking back at him, kind of shocked that he's here. And then, like, all of a sudden, he he moves the weapon so that he fires and doesn't hit Jill, but it doesn't break the glass because it's sort of bulletproof. So Jill just says, stand back, we're going to get wet, or something like, something stupid like that. And, uh, she sort of shoots the glass out for him. So then all of a sudden, like, the room's filling up with water and there's all these sharks. So, like, all the team's kind of screwed here. So they sort of get up on desks and everything and they have a quite a lengthy battle with the sharks. Like, it's it's described really well. Uh, basically, they in the end, they kill them all. And, um... Does anyone die? Uh, no. Nobody dies here. But, uh, they all sort of freak out because this, lots of them drank water. That, and it was infected, but Wesker mentions that no, because it's salt water, it's different, so it's everything's okay. <laughs> but uh, so shit, we know the secret now. It's like salt water is the base for the <laughs> antivirus or something. I don't know. Well, no, like they oh. they explain that the salt water wouldn't, you know, the virus wouldn't be able to live in there. I don't know if Gene, could you mention that? Like, could you? Is that possible or? So uh, virus in salt water. Yeah, it wouldn't be able to live in that. Am I correct? Is it correct? No. no nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
game. <laughs> no, even your body's quite saline, so no, no. Unless it's like super concentrated. Mo- movie magic. Okay, but J- just yep, for fish. Maybe. Just keep, it was keeping the fish in, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the sharks. Yeah, well, the sharks were all infected in it, so. Yeah, it's sort of weird. But anyway. Yeah, no, no, no. No, the, the, the salt water wouldn't kill a virus. No. Okay, moving on though. But um. So Wesker finds out that you know because this water was all released, it sort of set off alarms and everything, so they can't really escape the uh, through normal means. So Chris mentions that you know they could still go through the ducts and everything because he knows the place because it has all these secret passages and stuff. Uh, be- you no, know, obviously because the guy was a bootlegger, so he had to hide, you know, yeah. things. But anyway, um, so. They can't use Wesker's card to leave, but they can go. But they can go deeper in the into the uh, into the facility. So anyway, like at this point, you know, Chris, Jill, uh, Chris is sort of there, and Wesker's like, "Who the hell's this guy?" And Jill's sort of like, "He's part of my cover." And then Chris is like, "What? You know, part of your cover?" And they sort of have a lovers' quarrel there, where like <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> there's tension and everything. And anyway, uh, it's here where Rake reveals that. He was his that that rake guy was uh, Chris's father's old friend, and that Chris used to play in the Arclay as a kid, so he knows all these secret passages and shit. But anyway, uh, getting back to it, so they find uh, one of the guys takes the t- the name tag off of the zombie that was writing on the notepad, and it says Doctor John Marcus. So, so their mission sort of scrub, but then Wesker says, "No, they've we got to stop this outbreak by getting the cure, which is in the level D." They're actually on level A right now, so so the team agrees that they'll you know they'll go get the cure and like uh, that's about it I guess. Anyway, um, so as they're leaving, Rebecca sees some blood on Brad's sock, but uh, he just says it was a, a scrape and he won't let her look at it. So that's sort of setting it up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the uh, so here the uh, the team sort of. Jill, Barry, and Chris sort of get together and they start talking about the past where, like, Barry was saved in Desert Storm by Wesker and they were both kids in Macon, Georgia. So they knew each other since they were kids. Um, so they, they're crawling through the ducts here and they eventually make it to level B. So Wesker orders a guy called Fox, Enrico Marini, and Brad Vickers to go down to the computer. So Brad... While he's on the computer, he finds a video of a researcher. She's Oriental. It's Ada, actually. She's. This is revealed a bit later. Yeah, Ada. So, as she she pleads with the whoever you know she's talking to, you know, please save us. You know, everything's gone wrong down here. And then all of a sudden, like you know, you see in the background people being attacked by things, and she sort of runs away. But it's sort of implied that it's the it's like uh, hunters that are attacking her. Them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, all of a sudden, zombies start attacking. They walk into the place, and there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Wesker tries to save the guy Fox, but he's he's been bitten by a bunch of zombies, so he's kind of gone crazy, and he just puts his uh, own gun in his mouth and shoots himself because he knows that like he'll become one. Even though they mentioned the cure a couple minutes ago, but I guess he was just <laughs> I guess he felt he was just too far gone because like he got bitten a whole lot. Anyway. Uh, might have panicked too. As as Wesker's trying to get back, he sort of gets cornered by zombies, and and Barry saves him, uh, and mentions, you know, I saved you again, boss. And uh, and that's another thing. 
Barry's kind of saying boss all the time, you know, it's sort of like a racist connotation there. <laughs> How like the black guy's like, sure thing, boss. I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just noticing that, but anyway, uh they return to the ceiling. Uh and then Chris is like, Well wait, they can they can still come up here after us. So he jumps down like an idiot to try to shoot them off with his Winchester. So he almost gets killed, but Jill comes down and saves him, and then Barry picks them both up, and, like, the uh, the desk was... When Chris came down, he moved the desk so that they can't get back up after them, because the zombies were coming up, sort of. Right. Because I guess the ducks or the, like, secret passages are the only way out of there, and you can't have zombies in there. So anyway, uh... Uh, Forrest, once they reach level... I think they reach... They reach... Let me see. Yeah, they. I think they're at level B here now. Maybe C, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, so Forrest and Enrico sort of protest that they're... You know, they don't want... They didn't sign up for this. They're getting the hell out of there. And then Wesker just sort of says that you better not. And then he starts getting, like, this thing out of his pouch. And he sort of puts, like, this thing into his ear and then hits a button on this device on his belt and he says that you know it's a heart rate monitor and it's triggered up to or he has a uh, a switch where if if he pushes this button a bomb that's built underneath the mansion will explode and take out the mansion as well as Raccoon City so they're sort of like you're crazy and they're like you won't do it and, he's, and then he, he mentions that it's got a dead man switch as well which is what he put in his ear. It sort of monitors his heart rate, and if it stops or skips a beat, it'll blow up. Interesting. So, but before he did that, Enrico started putting in the codes for the helicopter pilot to come and, like, blast the place apart to, like, so that they could escape. Because Wesker's kind of mentioned that, you know, they can't get out without his key card, and he's like, bullshit, we'll just blow the place up. Anyway, uh, so there's this guy called Holden. Uh, and he's sort of the guy that Wesker was talking to in the beginning, like how he mentioned that he had a team on site going after them. And he was like, he's like the umbrella bigwig in this. It's sort of revealed later. But anyway, like the chopper pilot sees that they sort of put in half the code and he says, call, you know, call the HQ. So they call Holden and he sort of says like, um, you know, we received the partial support code from an from the team, you know, what's what should we do? Do we have permission to go in? And the guy sort of says, no. You know, Wesker, uh, you know, Wesker's, it's Wesker's show. And then it sort of pans down and shows the umbrella logo. So the chopper pilot's kind of pissed that, you know, he's not allowed to be able to go in there after, and try to see if they can save him. Because he's, uh, I think what they were doing is they were rotating shifts. There's two choppers, so one of them was, like, on the ground while the other was in the air, and then they'd rotate as needed, you know, with gas. Right. Anyway, uh, so they, the team, okay, they get down to level C now. So, and then Wesker sort of divides up the ammo between all of them. So then, hang on. So then when they go out into level C, they sort of come to the central command center, like where all the computers are all set up here and everything. Mm-hmm. So... Chris starts noticing that there's these, like, I don't know, Romero described it kind of weird, like, laser eyes or something like that. Electronic eyes, he said. But basically, they're, like, tripwires a bit. So, like, once you trip over one of these, uh, something bad will probably happen. So Chris notices that, but he doesn't say anything yet. But Enrico gets his face bitten by a zombie. 
and he falls into one of these tripwires. And we're, we see that it sort of sets off this acid, these jets of acid. And, like, Enrico gets his face and everything boiled, so he dies. So, But Chris yeah. warns the others in time to get down, so only little droplets of acid hit their back and sort of burn them. But the problem is zombies keep tripping the trap ahead of them. So, like, the whole room keeps getting doused in acid all the time. <laughs> Interesting. And, yeah, so, like, the drops are burning the team, so they all sort of get their Swiss Army knives out, and they start opening up the panels of the floor to try to get under there and get the hell out of there. Uh, let me see here. Oh, at, at this time, you know, Wesker's start trying to get it out, too, but a zombie grabs his ear and almost pulls the heart rate monitor out, but he manages to stop it and kill it. Uh, so they get, they get in the vents and everything then, and they're, they're sort of safe, but they're sort of talking to each other, and it's real that Chris sort of thinks Wesker's a wacko, and that he doesn't fully trust Wesker with the, uh, the bomb device. He thinks he'll probably set it off anyway, even after they complete the mission. Mm-hmm. And I guess he doesn't want that, because, you know, he's half Mohawk, and, like, he doesn't want the city he grew up in to be destroyed. So anyway, uh, as they're going through the vents, they start noticing, like, that the, the vents behind them are getting, like, crushed a bit. So then all of a sudden, like, the whole thing starts shaking, and Wesker says, you know, everybody stay, stand fast. But the team is sort of separated, because in between them, like, it's crushed even more. And then they could see that it's, like, plant vines crushing the thing. So the vents fall in, and Chris's side falls into the Plant 42's lair, which is sort of set up a lot more elaborately, like they actually cultivated this thing. And, like, there's there's plants that are, or there's leaves that are as big as bed sheets and, like, buds that are as big as cars. So they're in the, the lair. They're trying to find a way out. Then um, Wesker, Wesker's side falls into this puzzle corridor, which is what Gene was sort of mentioning earlier, where, like, there's these weird tiles on the wall, and if you press one, the room shifts. But anyway... Um, so Wesker orders the team to move on, but Jill wants to go try to find Chris and all them. Or, or yeah, to find Chris. But, um, you know, she eventually falls in line and follows Wesker because he sort of says, like, well, if they're alive, they're alive, and they'll they'll be alive and when we return. You know, just sort of a crappy thing. Anyway, uh, as they move on, they find that there's, like, blood everywhere in that puzzle room, and there's, like, signs of battle. So there's lots of blood here and everything. Interesting. Uh... uh so then, like, back in the Plan 42 room, it's Kenneth's in there with him. Kenneth, Chris, and... Kenneth, Chris, Richard, and Rebecca are in that room. So Kenneth is trying to, like, open the doors with him, but he gets attacked by this big bud, and it, like, sort of pierces his chest cavity, and then all of a sudden, like, his blood just instantly gets drained into Plan 42, so he just becomes this husk. So he dies, uh... Chris manages to grab a sparking wire from where it was sort of, like, screwing up the ducts, and he electrocutes the plant 42 to death. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, Richard's pissed because Kenneth and him were buddies, so he gets his machete out and he starts, you know, scrap, you know, cutting pieces of it off. Uh-huh. And uh, he, met, he keeps cutting and cutting, and then eventually, like, red blood starts pouring out, so he's like, what the hell? And then it's revealed that he cut into a giant snake. It's not actually y- named in this, but it's Yawn. So, like, Yawn just chomps on him and, like, crushes his rib cage. 
<laughs> so the snake was just sitting there chilling in the lair? I'm not sure if it was captured by Plan 42, or it, but it was in the vines, so I don't know. And it was big? I mean, like, yeah. like big like Yawn, or just yeah. maybe big like a giant anaconda? Big like Yawn, so I'm assuming Plan 42... Okay. It was probably just hanging out in the plant because that's what because they mentioned later on that like that's the it was a failure yawn the uh, giant snake because all it did was still exhibit the uh, snake behavior of just chilling out. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway, this is where it gets kind of ridiculous. Uh, Chris makes like a lasso and like throws it around the thing's head, but it misses because uh, Richard's uh, legs are still sticking out. So then it swallows Richard, and he tries throwing it again, and it sort of lassos around its head, and he tells Rebecca to hold it. And she's sort of reluctant at first, but he's like, hold it! You know, so she does. And uh, so he runs up and takes the uh, machete and begins chopping its stomach open. As he does, you see, like, Richard in it, and he's, like, sort of been digested a bit by the acid, and his ribcage is sort of crushed. So he sort of says, like, you know, kill me, please kill me I, I'm assu- I don't know if John's still here but if he was I'm sure there'd be a Robocop reference here <laughs> help, help me man uh, get away from me man anyway when the guy's melting from the toxic stuff anyway uh, so Chris sort of complies and he sees that there's two uh, grenades on Richard's vest so he pulls them both and uh, you know he runs away behind some dirt just as, like, the yawn breaks free from Rebecca's thing. It sort of, like, throws her across the room so she's safe. But, uh... uh let me see here. Uh, yeah. Uh, yawn nearly bites Chris, but he gets away in time, and, and the snake blows up along with Richard, so yawn is now dead. So then it goes back to uh, Wesker's team, and Wesker's sort of like off on his own and he's in radio contact with the guy Holden and he's assuring him that everything's under control and that he still he has yet to find the package so then like all of a sudden six hunters start approaching Wesker's team from the other end of the corridor and Chris and Rebecca are also attacked because they just they went back into the vents to sort of go to where Wesker and them were but mm-hmm. but the vents start getting attacked there as well by hunters, you know, they start putting their nails through. But they manage to make it to the other, so all, all the people are back together now. So Chris shoots, they're trying to shoot the hunters, and like, they shoot them in the head, but they have a really sharp exoskeleton, so it doesn't really affect them. So Chris just managed to shoot one of their joints, like in the knee, and it sort of like, uh, breaks, so it just, it's crawling really slowly after them, so he says, you know, aim for the, aim for the joints, so they all do, and, like, they manage to kill a bunch of them, but all of a sudden, like, they're approaching real too fast, and Forrest gets killed, his chest gets slashed open. Uh, so all of a sudden, then, like, the room starts shifting, and it sort of grinds Forrest's body along with a hunter, hunter's body. Like, one of the hunters that was alive that attacked him got ground up, and so did Forrest's body. As it's shifting, yeah. it's not really explained so well how the how the room shifts, so it's just kind of a mystery at this point. But anyway, that happens, and uh, so there's only one hunter left. It's coming at them, and then all of a sudden, a door beh- opens behind them, and it's Ada. And she says, "You know, they they run for it, and they find Ada." And she says, "You know, I'm sorry, 
I seen one of your men get killed, but I didn't know how to activate the trap in time, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, like I said earlier, she's the one who was in the video. Uh, so then, like, it re- it's revealed that there's also two other people in there with her. It's like a little safe hidden room that sort of shifts when you push the buttons. And it's uh, Benjamin and Toshiro in there with Ada. So they're in the safe room. Uh, they were saved by a biologist who sacrificed himself to save them. So he put them in that room, and then he was taken by the monster. I'm assuming they mean Plan 42, so... But anyway, like, Ada mentions that she was in love with John Marcus, and, uh, like... Uh, and then she also sees Wesker, and she's like, you're not, you're not stars, you're Umbrella, and he's like, I'm both. So it's revealed then that Wesker's working, you know, to the team, that Wesker's working with Umbrella as well mm-hmm. as stars, and then he sort of quips that, you know, he's also earning combat pay, too, so he's got three jobs, and he's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but, uh, I know. <laughs> anyway, um, so John, Ada reveals that John made the virus for humanitarian reasons, but it was taken away from him down in the lower level Lab D, which he doesn't have access to, so he didn't even know about that place, that they were making biological weapons. Uh, so then Wesker uses his card key on a panel to access D-Lab because I guess like Ada they see a card key reader there and she mentions that you know she doesn't have clearance to get there and Wesker sort of says I do you know and he swipes his red or his green key card and goes through uh, he orders the rest of the people to stay there and only, so only Barry and Wesker are uh, going in there this is almost the end too by the way so uh, so so Brad reveals that he was scraped by a dead shark's tooth. So like when he was walking through the water, he sort of accidentally tripped on a shark tooth as they were all dead in the room. Uh, mm-hmm. So Ada wants him dead, but Jill refuses, saying that they're close to the to the virus's cure. So then like it cuts back to... Yeah, Chris and Jill then go off to follow Barry and Wesker because they don't really trust them. So Wesker and Barry then find the tyrant in a stasis tube. It's like all all iced up, so it can't escape. It says it's nine feet tall, and Wesker mentions that no one knows about it except himself, Holden, and now Barry. Uh, and he says Holden is the Umbrella's man in D.C., so he reports to him. Uh, so then Wesker types up on a computer and grabs the master disk, which has data on all the, you know, mass-producing the tyrants, so that because Barry mentions, you know, how are we going to get this thing out of here? And he says, We're, we don't need to. If, as long as we have this master disc, we can just mass-produce these things. So, when he gets the master disc out, it causes certain systems in the room to fail. So, the ice begins to start, you know, starts thawing. Uh, so then Wesker reveals that there's no antidote, and that he's going to sell the data back to Umbrella. And he's going to open up a Swiss bank account right next to Barry's. So that's that's his payback. You know, Barry's payback. He'll, uh, he'll, you know, open up a Swiss bank account. So the others all come in now at this point. Uh, they join. And, like, Wester sort of says, you know, are you in or are you out with to all of them? Because they were sort of listening outside in the other room. And, like, everybody joins up except for Ada and Chris. You know, the Toshiro guy sort of says, okay, you know, I'm joining. Also, by the way, I should mention here, Brad didn't come with them. He was still back in the other room sort of resting. Uh, Anyway, all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, Chris sort of says, you too, Jill, and Jill sort of just, like, you know, plays 
as if she's with Wesker, and then all of a sudden she she just says, you know, I wish I would have turned out better than this, and she pulls the detonator out of Wesker's ear. So, like, it, the whole place is going to explode, presumably. So all of them sort of hunker down a bit, and then, like, <laughs> nothing happens. So then she grabs the thing on his belt, and it reads 14 minutes, 42 seconds. So basically 15 minutes left. So then Barry aims his gun at Wesker as, you know, Wesker aims it at Jill. And Barry just sort of says, you know, you pull the trigger, I pull the trigger, boss. So then, like, Jill tosses the detonator to Chris, you know, just so he can have it for safekeeping. So then Ada comes back in, and she grabs the data disc off Wesker. But Wesker, like, sort of turns his gun to shoot her. But before he can, like, Jill knocks him down by hitting him in the head. I, I think it says it, she kicks him in the head and his, like, face starts, his eye starts swelling up where she kicked him. But anyway, um, the tyrant's ice is melted further and he starts moving in the glass, so Ada holds the doors open because uh, I guess the doors would close without it? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so Benjamin goes over to start to help her. He's the other lab scientist that was there. But as soon as he does, he's he's mauled by zombie Brad. So Ada shoots Brad and then Benjamin in the head, and she says, "I told you we should have killed him." So Brad turned into a zombie at that time, and you know right. she and he kills off Benjamin, who Ada then shoots in the head. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, before this it was revealed. I don't know if I said, but there is no antivirus, so there is no cure. Right. Okay, did I say that? Yeah, you said that. Okay. Anyway. uh... So the other scientist, Toshiro, is standing sort of near the tyrant's glass, and he gets skewered because the tyrant just breaks through that with his hand and skewers the guy. But it's still encased in some ice, so it can't get out fully. So Wesker still starts searching for his gun as he's on the ground, and he sees all this happening, that the tyrant is still, you know, held by the ice and everything. So anyway, Wesker all of a sudden bolts for the door, but Barry throws him back, uh, and he says, you know, you and I aren't going anywhere, boss. So he sort of says, tells the rest of the team to get out of there. He'll slow the tyrant down with Wesker. Uh-huh. So anyway, Wesker and Barry, Wesker sort of pulls a gun on Barry and shoots at him, but he ducks behind some cover, and then, like, Barry shoots at Wesker, but Wesker crawls to the door for Chris to let him out, because Chris is on the other side now. And Chris just tells Jill and all them, Ada and etc., to leave. By the way, Rosie's here, too. Uh, Rosie whatever the hell. Right. Anyway, uh, so he tells them to leave, and then Chris just closed the doors on Wesker. And then in the background, Barry gives him a military salute, and then Chris does the same back to Barry, because he knows, you know, he's probably going to die there. Then Wesker starts shooting at the door, but it doesn't work because it, the bullets just ricochet off of it. It's like a plexiglass door, but it just fires back. Uh... So then Wesker turns around to fire at Barry, but his clip is empty. So then Barry's just sort of like, you know, well, boss, I guess we'll find out how, you know, to, how we fare against this thing. And Wesker's just telling him how it's, you know, it's, you can't fight it. It's the ultimate biological weapon. And he's just like, well, I guess we'll see how two vet- veterans do against it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then Ada configures the room panel to get to the exit or something like that. It's not really explained so well. But, um... Then all of a sudden, she just gives them the red key card, a red key card, and and they sort of question this, like, wait a minute, what's this? And she says it's the master level security that she didn't want to ever enter uh, D lab, 
even though she could have, because, like, I guess red key card is the highest level's clearance, even above Wesker's green card. Anyway, oh. uh, so she says she'll stay behind and destroy the data disk, but Chris just says that's nonsense, and he grabs it and he shoots it. <laughs> and Because it, <laughs> yeah. she's kind of distraught, too, that, like, all these people have died, and, you know, her lover's dead, John Marcus. And anyway, he just says he manages to convince her to come with him. So anyway, then it cuts back to Barry and Wesker, and, and Barry fires at the tyrant's heart, but it's it's still in the case, but you can shoot it through the glass that it broke open. But, like, the round just sort of, like, brushes off of that, and he's like, Jesus, what kind of heart is this? And Wesker mentions it's a rhinoceros heart, so whatever. Anyway, uh, so then it cuts back to Ada. So it's Ada, Chris, Jill, Rebecca, and Rodriguez. So they get on this weird sort of chain elevator thing, which, like, goes all the way up to the roof and then comes right back down. I have no idea how he described this, because it, it doesn't really make any kind of sense. But basically, there's, like, this chain that you can grab onto that would supposedly stop the uh, thing from going up. But anyway, they're going to ride that up all the way up to level A to get out of there. And uh, then it cuts back to... Oh, wait, wait. So as they're on that, there's all these zombies that are coming now. So Rodriguez volunteers to get on the bottom rung or something like that, and she's just shooting at the zombies. She has a couple close calls where Chris saves her. But eventually they all start going up, and so they're all sort of safe. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Wesker, then it cuts back to Wesker and Barry. So Wesker still has his hand trapped inside the door that Chris shut. And, like, he's sort of dragging Chris's, or he's dragging Brad's boot to try to hold the door open so it doesn't shut and lock. But as he's doing this, it's sort of like peeling his skin off, so he's sort of like, ah. Anyway, uh,. So then, like, all of a sudden, the, the tyrant breaks free, and it steps out, and it starts stalking Barry, because he was shooting at it. So then Wesker, Wesker finally gets the uh, boot to hold the door, and he runs off to the uh, computer, and he starts typing in the command to uh, retrieve the data on the T-virus. So he pops in a floppy disk and starts loading onto that. Barry's, like, getting stalked by the tyrant, so he starts shooting at it, and he's like, he, he yells to Wesker to get down, he's going to... He's going to give this creep a pineapple or something like that, like referencing a grenade. Right. So Barry's about to throw the grenade, but Wesker shoots him in the gut. Because I guess Barry's like, you know, the guns are useless against this thing. I'm going to give this thing a pineapple. And Wesker just shoots him, and he says, you know, looks like they work fine to me, like a dick. Anyway, uh, as Barry's shot, you know, he's sort of shocked, and then the tyrant slices Barry in his claws and Barry just sort of dies there, and the tyrant sort of sniffs him to make sure, and then, yeah, he's dead, so it throws him aside, and then it turns its attention to Wesker, so it starts going to him, and then, like, on the computer, you could see that the the uh, the progress to copy the floppy is going up, and it finally goes up to 100%, so Wesker grabs it, and he, like, runs for the door, and he pries it open with his M16, and he just makes it before the tyrant gets to the door, and he cl- it closes and then Wesker's sort of there gloating at it, and then all of a sudden, like, the tyrant just breaks the entire door down with its four claws and, like, skewers Wesker. Uh-huh. So, like, and then it sort of pulls him in towards it, but, like, as it does, the door starts shutting, and it just decapitates Wesker, so he's dead. Uh, so then it goes back to the elevator scene, and like, or the, I don't know, the lift, whatever, and there's, like, crows coming from level B. 
So they're all getting attacked by crows, and Ada mentions, you know, don't get touched by them or else you'll get infected. So Rosie gets hit by one of them. It gets pecked. She pecks, or a crow pecks her. And, like, then all of a sudden that last hunter that they left alive, it appears, and it grabs onto the chain so it stops the elevator. So it keeps going up after Rosie, and she's sort of fighting it off as it sort of keeps starting and stopping the chain from going up almost knocking all the people off of it. Mm-hmm. So, eventually all the others make it to level A, except for Ro- Rosie. And, uh, she's fighting with the hunter still. All of a sudden, like, you hear this loud noise and, like, the hunter gets impaled and we can see that it's the tyrant and Rosie's sort of face-to-face with it. But, like, it's got the hunter in its hand, so it looks over at its hand and sees that it's a hunter, so it just sort of throws it to the side. And then it sees Rosie, and she sort of knows that she's dead. She says, you know, this this thing's smart because it grabs the chain and purposefully stops the uh, thing. Because the hunter was just doing that because it was trying to get a better grab at her. Right. But the tyrant's all smart, so it grabs the chain so it stops, and she just sort of resigns to her fate and sort of jumps at the tyrant, and it just eviscerates her, you know? Right. So... The others just sort of start running through the mansion to get the hell out of there, being led by Chris because he knows the place. So they run through, like, this escape patch passage, which leads them out into daylight. And Chris checks the uh, the detonation timer, and it says six minutes left. So as they come out into the daylight, a chopper pilot sees them. So he goes in, and, like, the radio man's like, but you don't have the authority, and he says, screw authority. So he's going in to get them all. So then all of a sudden, like, they start hearing this rumbling in the mansion and you can see plaster falling down and you see the tyrant break right through the wall of the mansion. So it comes out and the chopper pilot's like, holy shit. So he just throws out a ladder and like the radio man gets ready a stinger missile. So Ada, Rebecca, Ada and Rebecca start climbing up the ladder and like Jill does as well because Chris is sort of like, I'll, I'll handle this. And, and the tyrant sort of swipes at Chris but it just misses. So the radio guy throws a stinger missile to uh, Jill, like a rocket launcher missile thing, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, Chris keeps dodging the tyrant's attacks a bit on the ground, and Jill, Jill's on a ladder, so she's trying to aim at the tyrant, but she's too wobbly to, to do it. So she sees Chris, and Chris sees her, and, and she throws it to him. And, like, the tyrant's almost on top of Chris, but he manages to fire the rocket launcher right at its heart, and it blows up. So the tyrant dies there, and it falls onto Chris's legs. But he can't move because the tyrant's so damn heavy. So he looks at the detonator, and it says three minutes. So the chopper pilot moves in a bit more with the ladder. So Chris grabs onto it, and, like, it pulls him up off the tyrant. So he's in the air now, sort of like having his feet brush against the trees. And, like, one minute, 45 seconds left. So then Chris gets into the cabin eventually, and, like, he... Chopper pilot. They're all like, let's get out of here. And Chris says, no, wait. Just circle around a bit. And he sees his farmhouse for one last time. You know, and then he's like, all right, let's get out of here. At 38 seconds left. So they start getting the hell out of there. And as they do, Chris sort of spots one of the eagles racing alongside them as the chopper, you know, gets the hell out of the city. And then uh, all of a sudden the mansion explodes. So his farm, and then it cuts to his farm where you see, like, the zombie rake sort of walking around. Also, I should mention, when he first got to the farmhouse, he also seen that, like, he thought one of the horses was still alive, but it was a zombie. But he just shot it in the head, thinking that it, it was still alive, and he had to put it out of its misery. 
Mm-hmm. But anyway, like, so it cuts to a shot of Rake. And, uh, oh yeah, also, it showed, like, as Chris was leaving in the Humvee, a dog cut in half by whatever, a hunter, that was, uh, like, trying to go after Chris, but he couldn't make it because, you know, it was cut in half. But anyway, getting back to the very end. So it shows Zombie Rake getting blown up, and then it shows the explosion progressing to Raccoon City, which it cuts to Raccoon City Main Street, and you just see, like, six shuffling zombies, so the, the infection spread to the city by now. But the explosion hits and, like, kills a few zombies, but then, like, after a couple seconds, you see that a couple of them get up that aren't damaged in the head. You know, they didn't have the brain. Right. And, like, then they get up and they start shambling. So then it sort of just ends on that note where, like, the town's infected, and that's pretty much where it ends. So I hope you enjoyed that summary. My throat is (laughs) killing me. I know. That that took you such a long time. That was good. Actually, I think if they had changed the names and not made them the same characters from the games, I think that would have been a superior film. You think so? Yeah, I I like that a lot better. Gene? It had a lot more... Gene, Rob, any thoughts on that, or...? Um, I was just gonna say, um, uh, I, I'm not a fan of um, that script. I think it's what well, not not even because the characters are so bastardized. It all just seems a bit convenient how they sort of drop from one scenario to the next with the plant and the yawn and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's, I could see it's that. Just, it's like a bit like a comic book, I guess. Maybe a comic book series, you know, where everything's got to be wrapped by the last issue or something. <laughs> Maybe that's the best way I can describe it. That's that's what I was feeling when I was reading it. I get I get what you're saying though about that. And just the the, the whole shifting corridor and that wacky elevator at the end didn't make much sense to me. So. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't make heads or tails of it really. Like the only thing I got that it was like maybe a bike chain that had these like platforms that goes up, <laughs> whatever. I, I thought I just pictured maybe like something maybe as big as a book or something you could put maybe one foot on and you hold the chain and it goes up. Mm. That could uh, that, be that's what I pictured. I, I got I, again. I don't know. It's really strange. So, but Rob, how about you? Um, um, I was. I like the fact that you know he managed to cram so many elements from the game in there, especially enemy-wise. Like that big comparison to you know that Anderson film where you've just got like two enemies. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I mean. I, I don't have no idea what the um the idea of what the budget was at the time. It sounds like an exceptionally you need an exceptional budget to create all this. Yeah, the mansion and all the secret past. Well, it, it's funny. It struck me because like during half the damn movie, they're crawling through these vents and like ducts and everything. It sounds like it'd be a very cramped and you know difficult shooting locations and everything. Depends on how it's shot, I guess. But I mean, I I just see the variety. I mean, if if it's I don't know what the plan was at the time, but is it, if it was a good mix of, uh, you know, uh, animatronic characters and prosthetics and, and maybe a bit of CG enhancement, it wouldn't have been too bad. Yeah. Um, I think it all, it all could be done. It's just a case of how much of a budget they had towards it and how cheesy it might have looked in the end. And just to quickly wrap that up, like, the f- I think the fact that a lot of people latched onto was that Chris was an Indian, but, you know, he mentions that he's only part Indian. And it's really only referenced a few times that he's sort of like, you know, close to the earth or whatever the hell that Indians might be, apparently. If we had John here, I'm sure he'd be doing some racist remark here. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. anyway, uh, that didn't really bother me because they didn't really focus on it all that much. No, he seems to be a, just more of a naturalist than and his race doesn't matter at all. Yeah. I, I think the, the script's okay, uh, but... 
it's um, Anderson's was bad as well, you know, it's sort of yeah. They, they're both. Mm, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Romero script, and I have to say, I think Romero himself's a bit overrated. But that's going to get a lot of criticism. Well, if you look at his like Diary of the Dead, his recent film, I didn't like that at all. Like it didn't. There was, I haven't seen it. There was nothing interesting at all in that. But I do like his, you know, his original three. They're they're quite good in my opinion. But you I've know. seen. Oh no, I agree. But I think um, I think Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead are bettered by their remakes. Day of the Dead's fantastic, but I haven't seen that remake. I've wait, heard it's rubbish. Wait a minute. Did did you just say? Day of the Dead remake is better than Romero's? No, no, I said Night and Dawn. Night and oh, Dawn. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree uh, on Night. I'd agree on Night, but and but you know, I could, I could sort of take all of them, and you know, I don't see them as generally being superior one over the other. I just sort of enjoy all the movies, you know. But um, and I see um, I, I haven't seen the Night, uh, the Day of the Dead remake. The Day of the Dead, the original is absolutely. Fantastic. Oh, do not. Do not ever see that under any circumstances. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I'll take your word for that. That's terrible. Trust me. But like, the original, the, yeah. the original is brilliant. Yeah, definitely. But, um, I was going to say, I think Romero is important more in the, the history of cinema than he's actually the best at doing what he does. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah, so he was the first to do the zombies. Yeah, the, the zombie, zombie genre. Horror. Yeah. But to actually, um, to be the best at it, I'm not sure that. I think others have done it and maybe done it better. So. Yeah, but what were you going to say, Rob? Uh, I, to two aspects of it. I mean, the the Romero thing. I think a lot of the, the idea of Romero making the Resident Evil film was just that whole you know connection and <laughs> and nostalgia thing. You know, um, it, like oh, he he created this genre. He should be able to do the Resident Evil film justice. Was a, a large part of people's debate. But yeah. I mean, as people have been saying on the forums as well, it's a case where. Um, maybe the fact that it is so tied closely to the to the original game, which I mean, it has a limited plot, so it's trying to flesh flesh that out. Um, uh huh. You know, you'd, it could be it could be it could be a case of um, that. Yeah, it was never going to be popular regardless of who did it. Yeah, I think I think you're probably on the right track there. And if you look at Anderson's script um, for oh, sorry, not his, if you look at Anderson's Apocalypse, you see that. Um, he has reintroduced Jill and the Nemesis and things, and he got and Carlos and Nicola, yeah. and he he got panned for that, you know, universally by everybody who who likes the characters from the game. So he's so he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, really. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to apply to anyone who undertakes the the uh, the the movie to game route, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. So game to movie route, the you know the the you. It doesn't matter how faithful or not faithful you are, you. Even if the and even the movie is generally okay, people have a preconceived notion of it. Yeah, like the Silent Hill movie gets shit on all the time, but I honestly don't see why. It seemed pretty good to me. Like the only real big difference they changed was the fact that you know it's a woman instead of a man. But like I don't know, I found it to be quite good. But well, visually that movie is stunning, and the plot. I mean, I was fine with the plot, but a lot of people had issues with it. I don't, I don't see the problem. But yeah, it's, that was it, me. But I mean. It, it, it was going to get critiqued harder because of the connection to being a video game movie. I mean, what's the most successful one? I think it's the Tomb Raider movie is probably the most successful I think money the, maker. The Resident Evil ones probably wouldn't it be? I think they're like they're a lot. They make a lot of money on them 
I don't know. I mean, I know, as I was saying before, I know it's Sony's in, in the States, it's their biggest, second biggest moneymaker, sorry, yeah. um, behind Spider-Man as a trilogy, but I, I think as an independent, as one-off movie, I think that the first Tomb Raider made way more. Yeah. Pr- um, but I mean, that, that says it exactly. It's like, well, so it wasn't that was a pretty poor film. I didn't enjoy yeah. it. It was <laughs> it was poor script and poor acting and it was terrible. But I mean the I don't have no idea, maybe it was just the Jolie factor. Yeah, definitely. It's called The Tyrant. Nobody knows it exists. Except us and Holden. Holden. Brother's man in DC. We need him. He signs the checks. We've got it, Barry. Our fortune. You're not going to try to get this big mother out of here. Don't have to. All we need is the data. Then, these things can be cranked out on an assembly line. Yes. This is it. What about the antidote? Antidote? There is no antidote. That was just happy fortune to keep the team going. You're gonna give this to Umbrella? No, I'm gonna sell it to them. Then, I'm gonna open a Swiss bank account. Right next to yours. Okay, so that'll about do it for the script discussion. Uh, let's move right into the community call-ins. First up, we have Nomad9026. Hello, guys, and hello, everyone who's listening to the podcast. This is Anatoly, better known as Nomad1926 on the boards. So, the first Resident Evil movie. I have to say that I have some mixed feelings about it. I think that uh, all of RE movies are good for those who haven't played the games, but bad for uh, Resident Evil fans. But in my opinion, the first uh, RE movie is watchable and the best out of three. I have to say that after I watched it for the first time, I really liked it. Of course, back then my Resident Evil experience consisted only from the second and the third game, so I wasn't expected to see stars or mention incident. I was waiting for the zombies, the T-virus, the umbrella, some horror and some actions, and that's what I got. And I really liked the music in the movie. It was just good to know that now there is a Resident Evil movie. Of course not great, but back then we didn't get to see Resident Evil movies every day. Yeah, about the music, I thought some of the tracks, like I think Marilyn Maronson was the composer on some of them, and some of them are pretty good, like the opening title screen for when it, the Umbrella logo appears, and Jason Isaac sort of gives that voiceover. I thought that yeah, was I really, agree. really nice. I'll agree. Yeah, I agree. I'll agree. The good. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I only had one wish, no sequels. The movie was so different from the game, different in everything, and it was clear that so would be the sequels and it would just make things worse for the fans. But apparently for the sins of the humanity, we were punished by the apocalypse and the extinction. Of course, our movie had a lot of bad moments, like the fact that lasers killed more people in the horror movie about the zombies than zombies themselves. But I got to admit that I like that scene, despite its stupidity. Stupid zombies design, liquor that is called Hunter in the movie, and turn into a puppet monster dog, and of course that Alice is the main character, and so on. He's saying everything we are. <laughs> yeah. That's great. There's not much we can add to it. I think it's great. I mean, doesn't it tell you something about the kind of age we live in when uh, a man from the East and men from the West can agree with each other on something, you know? <laughs> they discuss a mutual hate for this film. This film brings the world together. <laughs> the more Resident Evil games I played, the more I started to dislike the movie. 
but I would still give it 3 out of 5, just because I can clearly remember the fun that I felt after watching it for the first time. Well, that was my thoughts about Resident Evil Movie, and thanks for listening. This was Norman 1926, live from the zone. I shall continue to struggle for my survival, and maybe I shall survive for the next podcast. Straight from the Chernobyl. Thank you all. <laughs> from Ukraine, with love. That's like, Holy shit! That's like a, that's like a, <laughs> like a commercial. That was <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> Holy shit! That was from <laughs> that was from the game Stalker. That's one of my favorite games. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he nailed it too. The atmosphere, like with the with the harmonica and everything. Oh, great! Oh, we should have him on the podcast. <laughs> but it's funny, like we mentioned earlier. He pretty much agreed with everything we said. Like some of the guys said, the that's great. He said some of it word for word. I know it's great. <laughs> uh, he may have mentioned the hunter being, you know, the liquor being called the hunter. Oh, great. But uh, up next we have Ari Master, uh, also known as Joe. So let's see what he has to say. Hey, this is Ari Master on the boards, and I have to start out by saying that as much as I dislike the movies, I kind of agreed with Dot that the first movie was okay. Not good, but okay. Uh, now, if you would have asked me back in 2002 when it first came out, I would have said, yeah, it was great. But of course, that was before my dreams were crushed. I think one of the reasons why I hold the first movie in such high regards is because even though it wasn't what I really wanted to see in a Resident Evil adaption, it also wasn't bad enough to destroy all hope for future installments. You know, we could still salvage it. I mean, I was still hoping that a sequel would be awesome with Raccoon City and we'd get to see the Stars team. And when I say the Stars team, I mean the real, the real one, not just apparently every cop in Raccoon City. And also that uh, Nemesis wouldn't look like a big dork in a rubber suit getting beat up all the time. Uh, but anyways, I believe it was Biohazard X who said on the forums a few days ago that a true fan can say three good things about anything they don't like and three bad things about anything they do like, you know, and I respect that. So here we go. <sighs> okay. Number one, the movie had decent special effects. No, no, uh, no. <laughs> okay. If, if he's talking special effects like practical and CG, I guess I could sort of agree with that. But like like Gene said, the makeup on uh, what's-her-face? Matt's sister? Uh, Lisa. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it just didn't look like it. It was just... There's, there's a few exceptions, but on, like the Spence at the train platform looks alright, and the dog handler, but the rest of them are not. Bit of a joke, I think, in my opinion. Particularly with the laser room, even though I wish they would have never done that now because it's in every Resident Evil game ever. Uh, two, the acting. It was pretty good, I thought. I mean, there there was an occasionally a cheesy line or two, but overall it wasn't bad, considering this was before Day Day, Scott Farkas, and that guy from The Mummy. I think the cheesy lines mostly came from uh, Rain. I just really didn't like her. Like, bitch ain't standing now. It's like, oh, shut up. It's not really a joke, is it? It's not. A, it's not a one-liner because a one-liner is like, say, 
Yeah, Arnold but... Schwarzenegger, you freeze someone, and they say, chill out, you know. But in this, it was like, <laughs> oh, she's not standing now. That's not a witty line. You're just reciting what's actually happening. Didn't the guy happened. say I shot her five times, and she's still standing? Yeah, and then he's like, yeah. she's like, bitches are standing now. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, while I'm on the laser room, I thought it was a shame that the leader of the Umbrella team, I believe his uh, unmentioned name is One, dies immediately in the most horrible way possible. And he was so close. I mean, I know that added to the shock factor, and that was like Paul Anderson's big uh, opening uh, horror scene. But for me personally, he was really the only person that I cared if they lived or died, you know? Um, yeah, he was awesome. He definitely should survive longer. Like, I don't know, like, well, I guess Kaplan was the only, well, Cap, okay, replace one with Rain, and then I'm, I'm very happy. Anyways, number three, uh, Alice actually wasn't that bad in this movie. Uh, I think that if she would have just stayed in this state where she can kick some ass sometimes, but she's not doing it constantly until you're sick of it, I think it would have been a little easier to watch the sequels. It was a well-balanced mood in this movie. There was more of her sometimes being afraid and, and uh, sometimes being a badass. You know, there was there was definitely no flying through a window on a motorcycle with dual Uzis while simultaneously breaking necks and making people bleed just by looking at them because clearly Alice is a god. But with all that being said... Uh, you know, obviously I do have a few problems, like a lot of people, with the movies. Uh, but as for the first installment, I think on its own, I think uh, I think it's at least watchable. You know, it's the only one that I can watch. And I've tried to watch it and just pretend like the other two didn't happen. Soon to be three. Uh, but it's definitely a lot harder for me to enjoy these days. And uh, I think the sequels have really tarnished the appeal of the original. Uh, and I haven't watched the first movie from start to finish uh, since Apocalypse came out, and I uh, probably never will. Rage-induced rant is now complete. <laughs> oh. I love I love the way people are like putting little things after this now. This is great. Everyone's getting into it. I wonder if they coordinated with this or if it's entirely random. <laughs> that was great. It's Mo- awesome. I mostly agree Next with time, him. I'm I'm going to make something for me next time. <laughs> I, I mostly agree with him, though. But We all need theme music. I don't know if I should even mention it, but I sort of liked Apocalypse and Extinction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if we did have theme music, my- Gene would have to be My Generation by The Who. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Oops, <What>? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the wrong button to play that liquid thing. <laughs> I meant to get it on Ryder. I, I still hit my cue though. Alright, so the next next call in here is from Ryder Kid. Hi, I'm Ryder Kid on the Horrors Alive. Um I have three questions for you guys. Uh, number one has to do with the Resident Evil movie. Uh, if you guys had the choices, what would you have done? Would you have done a re- the remake, uh, the Resident Evil original game, or would you have based it off of RE0? Which all three were not available at the time, but I know that. But if you had a little more time, besides the 2001 rule, the 2001 to 2002 release date of Resident Evil the movie, would you have done that? Oh, hmm. Um, I'd have to say the remake. 
remake? Basically, yeah. Rob? Uh, I go with the remake as well. Gene? It's definitely a remake. Chris? Remake. You guys suck! Okay? <laughs> you guys suck! Zero was boring! You're, Ooh, all, what's, what's you're all fired, okay? <laughs> hey, I, I didn't even have a job to lose anyway. <laughs> but no, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Zero might be interesting, but I think it'd reveal a bit too much of the backstory to sort of, you know, I think it's best left as a prequel, you know, released after the first one. But yeah. as for, you know, hmm, I I guess maybe a mix of the remake and the, and the original. Because the original had that charm. The remake just sort of had like this, I sort of bitched about it in the in the Resident Evil 1 podcast but like it just well, the, the music that, though. huh well it's hard to decide on what I mean you can't bring exactly what you get from the games to the movie anyway yeah. so it's kind of hard to say which one between the original and remake you'd bring to the movie because they're essentially the same thing and you'd be taking it into a whole different format yeah All the right. only difference they... you've got the only difference you get is that, you know, the Lisa Trevor thingy. You oh, know, right, yeah. Say, the only reason I'd choose Remake over the original is, first, the Lisa thing gives you a bit more sort of meat to the universe yeah. and backstory. Second, at the ending with the files on Alexia and Birkin and stuff, you actually get a bit more sense of a, a sequel coming. Wait, what? I don't... Uh, files on Alexia hey? and Birkin? If you, when Wesker's killed in the lab, or killed in commas, he has a file written by William Birkin about Alexa's, Alexia's jealousy. Oh, shit. I didn't know this. <laughs> and he, he actually, he mentions, I think, if I read, they misspelled the progenitor virus, primogenitor virus, oh, virus yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. But yeah, no, he has, he has a file written by Birkin in a re- remake. Interesting. Yeah. All right, let's continue. My second question is pertaining to an earlier podcast you guys did, and the question is, I noticed none of you played the remake when you reviewed, you did Resident Evil 1 playthroughs. Now, will the remake be featured in a later episode, or will it never be featured at all? Uh, it's been bothering me for a while, I would love to see your thoughts on the game. Absolutely, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll be doing our own uh, thing on, uh, on remake eventually. And now, finally, my last question has to do with Jill. I know you probably aren't going to talk about this. In fact, I probably won't even get the question answered. But my thoughts are, what do you think happened to her? Because I'm hearing so many theories from, like, Jill Lover and Jill's boob or whatever, Jill body parts, something, about this. And I'm getting a little concerned that this is going to get out way out of control and it's going to turn out to, to be something really stupid when the game comes out and if someone's going to get hurt and someone's going to feel, like, upset that that happened to her or that didn't happen to her. So I want to get your thoughts on it. Is Jill dead, alive, or captured? I hope to get your responses soon on this podcast. If not, well, thank you for giving me the time of the day. Thank you. Well, uh, as an executive of Capcom, I would like to make this very clear to our fans that Jill Valentine is, of course, a uh, a very popular character amongst the fans. And, uh, and what I believe was, uh, there was a man who was completely made of rubber. And then he came to me and was like, blue, blue. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, a, like a giant mechanical rabbit, uh, and 
no okay. idea what it's all about because, of course, I was uh, very, <laughs> very drunk. Okay, but <laughs> getting back to his question now, I think we've said our theories before, haven't we? Sort of? Well, the thing is, I'd say, I'd, okay, a meteor struck her on the head, right, and she died. At this Cancer. point in time, there's no evidence to disprove that. There's no evidence to prove it, and so you can speculate all day as long as you want, and you're never going to know the answer. And as you said, right, a kid, you know, people are going to be disappointed when Capcom sort of set in stone one alternative, or you know, their alternative. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if they invest so much and care so much and fuss and waste their time over it, they're sort of bringing it upon themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's how much I. That's how I'd see it. I think that pretty much answers this question, yeah? Well, things aren't really out of control at the Horrors Alive, are they? Oh. It, <laughs> it was rough dun, dun, dun. at first. Behind the scenes. I'm not, I'm not in the mod so, squad. So, so, it's, like, it's like a phone call in MGS or something. No, it's things like aren't out of control at all, no. Yes, it's a Jupiter 30 cow. Is the situation out of control? <laughs> yes, Chris. <laughs> Chris of a K. <laughs> Oh, right. Who has his fingers in many pies in the RA community. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to the final call in here. This one's from Heligad. Hey, Don and everyone else out there. It's uh, Gene, better known as Heligad on the forums. Uh, You're talking about the Resident Evil 1 movie this week. Uh, I got a few comments on it. Um, I like the movie overall. I don't know what all the hate is all about. It's got some decent action scenes, but one thing that stood out for me was the really bad acting of most things, even from experienced actors such as um, uh, Mila Jovovich and Michelle Rodriguez. A um, uh, couple of other things I noticed was all the Alice in Wonderland connections. Uh, the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland is always going off with her head. Um, there's a couple of decapitations in the movie. One, the laser scene where that medic, I think, gets her head chopped off. And in the elevator scene at the start, which you don't see, but it's strongly implied. Um, the T-virus is tested on a rabbit. Um, I think, yeah, the rabbit's a fairly, um, yeah, it's a main character in Alice in Wonderland. I think it's got something to do with the story. I haven't seen it in a while. Um... And Alice is the main character, so her name's obviously tied up with the main character, Alice in Wonderland 2. Um, another thing I noticed that in the laser scene, um, the team leader would have probably survived if he had stepped back a bit when that big mesh of lasers came, so it was kind of a bit bad luck on his end, but it's Hollywood, so I suppose you can't have everyone survive. Yeah, I think, John, you even mentioned that, right? Yeah, if you look at the scene when it comes towards him, He's got a whole yard of clearance back there. Yeah. And, and two more things I noticed. Um, Alice never has her main name mentioned until the end. I was talking with Selfish Gene about it, and it, we were discussing in a cinema screen cap of the ending credits, and it's the only place it was ever mentioned. And Kaplan, the code that he has trouble remembering when they're trying to escape from the zombies is the 4th to 3rd, 1965, which is the birthday of Paul W.S. Anderson, the hated um, film director. Um, I would probably say this is the probably the worst out of all the Resident Evil live-action films. Whoa. Yeah. What That's it needs cool. is... Too cool. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, ju- let's let John go. Wait. that flies along and then goes to slow motion and breaks into loads of smaller missiles and fly around all over the place. <laughs> and they've all got my name on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> the camera will zoom in and it'll say poor WS Anderson engraved in the barrel. Okay, but go ahead uh go ahead and address his point there then, guys. His uh best of the series or what do you say Worst best? Does he have more to say? Like Oh yeah, just a tiny bit. Let me let me play it. I'll I'll rewind it a little bit so I just want to hear why he thinks. Okay, hang on. Apocalypse is my favourite. Uh, extinction, extinction came next, and then the first one came third. I don't. I, the bad acting really puts this one down. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was still pretty bad. Okay, yeah, that's all. Thank you. That it? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> what? What's the problem? <laughs> Everyone is waiting for the you know, the theme tune or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he thinks that's the. The oh the the worst, worst of the series. Worst of the series, yeah. So the worst in the series. The f- I ugh. what do you guys think? I disagree. Which is the worst? Or? Yeah. Well, his point that he says he thinks it's the worst. He says the bad acting. I didn't really notice too much bad acting. Yeah, I thought that's the bad acting was possible. I mean, yeah. they were all, most of the actors weren't that experienced. Like I think it was. Rodriguez's like third film, Jovovich mm. had done other films, but she doesn't talk a lot in her earlier films. I think this is like her first main role, so mm. I don't know. I, I I don't think they. I think they personally. I think they got worse as they went on. But how would you guys rank them? Rank them though, like I'd go one, one two, two, three for me. Yeah, same. <laughs> one, two, three. I'd go one, two, three, because they're all excellent films. Oh! <laughs> no, no. And John's probably like none of them, but John Spencer, that is. I I don't want to cover the third film, but I mean, realistically, the third film is just like several other films, you know, basically stuck together. Yeah, the, uh, the, so the scene, I, I, the scene in the desert when she has the te- tele- telepathy thing. It's like, oh, what? This is stupid. The and then, yeah. And then there's the whole scene where they're trying to teach the zombie to put the cubes in the thing, and oh, uh, you know, I forgot about that. Yeah, we well, you guys are all in for a treat next week because there are two weeks from now because we're gonna be doing the Resident Evil movie, the second one, Apocalypse. Oh God! <laughs> Can you do it? Can you do it as like a double feature? Because you don't have like a scrap script to talk about. To, you know, blow out. Oh, that's an hour. That's true. Yeah, maybe we should just do. Um, all right. Just spare, spare everyone the pain of you know another month of these. All right. Yeah. So that for the next two weeks, we'll uh, we'll watch the second and third Resident Evil movies. And we'll is, is there much? Is there much background stuff for Apocalypse? Wait, there? there's a film. I don't think I don't think I re- Rob. Did you even really follow the second movie's development? No. They, once once the first movie came out, they basically announced they were going to make a second one, and just everyone was like, "Oh, well, it did well enough." Movie. The only thing I know um, development-wise about the second one was very early on there was like some things in uh, Canada, like screenings where people would capture yeah, footage right. of the helicopters with the umbrella logo, and also there was a leaked footage of like set, I think it was set to Nine Inch Nails music where like Miller was fighting Nemesis, and there was no like you know work done on the on the film, so it looked all awful. Like, it's like, people were like, kung fu fighting, you know, why is he fighting Nemesis? And there was like, you look at, hang on, I think there was a, like a, someone pretending to be an insider, it was all fake from within the studio, but they were leaking information out of like a secret reporting blog, 
the um the leaks for the second movie mm-hmm. i remember there was a lot for the first one that i have only just remembered now that someone mentioned that there was a website and they, oh, was, they were in Germany and right. they were, were leaking behind-the-scenes information. Yeah. That was the third one, wasn't it? No, no. This... No, no, it's the first film. Because was... they filmed it in Germany. They, 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 all the tunnels were underground um, railway tunnels that had been just been built. Yeah, and oh, right. but expanding on that, Gene, the third one, yeah, there was like people who were the extras around the... Uh... That's, that bloke in Germany... There was the, uh, there was a guy there was a German guy at a collection site and he got hands on storyboards and concepts and oh okay huh really, like really early on and actually there was a script that leaked hmm there was a script for Extinction that came out I it don't had like I don't mechas and mechs and stuff what that's probably fake that's what I heard I didn't read it I just I read that it had mechs in it I thought bollocks to that I'm not reading it yeah <laughs> 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 I do remember. I don't know if it was real or not, but I do remember that it was an early script. I can't out. imagine that's real. Max, come on. That part of the convoy not Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's probably going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. That'll be November the 30th, and we'll be doing the second and third Resident Evil movies. So if you have anything to say on those, just uh, you know, come on on the boards, and you can find uh, how, to, how to contact us so we can get your voice played on the, uh, on the podcast. So... Uh, for the horrors alive, I am Dot Fifty Cal, and I'm Alzer, and I'm Mr. Spencer. I'm the selfish Jane, and Rombie from Resident Evil fan. So we'll see you in two weeks. I'm running out of my point on this, but, I, but... <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's um, <laughs> things like in 1973. What nice things like that? That's the thing about New Zealand that I read somewhere. It's like, I think Billy Connolly went to New Zealand and he was like, uh, uh, the guy on the plane was like, uh, we're landing in New Zealand now, uh, set your watches back 30 years. <laughs> I'm doing a smoothie right now, it's got apples in it and bananas, but the pineapples aren't doing any justice. Too bitter. I, I must admit, I needed a few glasses of whiskey to get through that film, so then I chopped those up. The notes get worse and worse as they go on. You go over there and be like, wow, all well, the TVs are in colour over here. <laughs> oh, Richard! Come on. But, um, jeez. I have to keep going, I'm sorry. I would value your opinion as like a film buff, but I've seen uh, Harry Potter DVDs on your shelf. Oh, what are you doing? Opinion you have is not worth anything now. Well, with Paul, I just need to go. You're a disgrace in this country. Is he one of your lot? Is he? Yeah, he's one of our boys. I'm afraid. Scum. Right now. Damn it. Uh oh. Anyone hear that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have the side of my computer case off, and I didn't expect it to be jutting out from my desk like that, and I just sort of cut myself pretty bad, to be honest. Some bandages. Yeah, higher than R we have NC-17, which is like for porn movies and stuff.
Not that I go to those things. Of course not, about your reputation. Okay, okay, we gotta, we gotta. I'll just re- I'll just cut this in. So in the first. Ah. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quiet. Alright, uh, I'll shut up. Like lagging and everything. Really good quality, actually. Really good. <laughs> but that's because of Blu-ray, which Sony have invested a lot of money into as a technology, with and I'm sure will uh, help us win the console war. Rob, did you watch it at all, or? Um, I, I watched it last week. Um, I watched it on DVD. Oh, okay, great. DVD was solely developed. Speaking of the uh, Japanese, I um, can't wait to play Call of Duty World at War. Not only for the uh, visceral Eastern Front mission, but also the fact that What I the get hell? To... Are you being paid by EA? Listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I know we right. joked Dead about... Space, this mirror's edge there. I know we joked about it with Dead Space, but you seriously sound like you're in the marketing department for EA. Correction, okay? EA did not make Call of Duty series. They wish they did, but they oh, haven't. They didn't okay, right. on it. Activision and uh, Trekkie are named Finnesy Ward, they call it Julie. You know, the S10 mask, which uh, is quite popular in the, in, the, the mo- in the movie and the film. Ugh, what am I saying? <laughs> Let me get Gene in here. And the film? And the film, yeah. <laughs> the movie and the film. Yeah, the, the movie and the film, the American one and the British one, too. Hang on, I'm having troubles again. Ah, oh, shit. Don't worry, we have Rob to replace him. Beat Silent Hill 2? What's the world coming to? Oh, no! Uh, PlayAsia has begun taking pre-orders for the Biohazard Degeneration with... Bleah! <laughs> Let me redo that. Uh, next up is uh, Resident Evil 5 developers have an interview at 1UP. Um, you might... Ah, <coughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we doing? <laughs> so, so let's... Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Early scripts and such? Yeah, hang on. This might suck. <laughs> Because, like, here, I'll read my notes. Movie opens with board of directors viewing a videotape of a zombie attack on Dr. Marcus, a doc, a Dr. John, Dr. John Marcus, and other researchers. So, so then there's, like, this retarded part where it's like, Chris is feeding large birds with fish in the mountains. <laughs> Actually, Rob, did you like turn on uh, waterfall in, in your house? I can, what? I, can, I, can, I can hear like a lot. More. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, there it stopped. It's, it's just distortion. Ah, oh, okay. He's trying to make his way for the courtyard in remake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I made it from the lab last time. You know, the echoey lab, and um, slowly making my way back to the mansion. <laughs>
Well, if you gotta go, you gotta go. I mean. Okay, I'll, I'll stay you... in the chat and I'll and... listen, but... Okay. And now you get eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex on a commode. It depends on how it's done, but... Sorry, continue. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Yeah, just finish up your thought. Just finish up your thought. Oh my god, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, Rob. It's alright. Chris? Uh Uh-oh. Burying his head in grits. (laughs) Like a pig in a truck. Oh my god. (laughs) No, he's a wonderful guy. And some more airy games I played. Fuck. They couldn't call it a liquor though, could they? No. Not about pissing off the lesbian community. (laughs) 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 Alright, let's hear Joe here. And I want to thank uh, Rob, Rob McGregor from uh, Rombi, from Resident Evil Fan, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. You know, laying down that knowledge from uh, days of yore. That was horrible! <laughs> Days of yore? What? <laughs> what the hell? Fairy tale? I know! Okay, I'll just cut it. It came in on the, on the steed. <laughs> he came about upon his steed from the days of yore. <laughs> Good God. He stopped upon the hill and gazed upon the horizon and thought, I wonder what lies beyond yonder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end it here.